Hey, race fans, Hall of Famer Daryl Walter here. You know it's time to drop the green flag on another edition of Meaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacematic. So, hey, pull those belts tight one more time. Here's my buddy Hermie Sadler and Senator Bill Stanley. Boogity, boogity, boogity. Let's see what they have to say, boys and girls. I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley, and I'm leaning right. And I'm former NASCAR driver and Fox Sports analyst Hermie Sadler, and I'm turning left. It's time for another episode of Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacematic. Hey, Hermie. Good morning. How you doing, bud? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. I'm a little cold. We're outside A little today. chilly. A little chilly. You want to set the scene? You do it. No, you do it. Well, typically, when you tell me to do stuff and then I start doing it, you interrupt <laughs> me and want to do it yourself. That's part of the gig. So... Uh, we are uh, okay. Let's go ahead and set the stage. In full disclosure, it's Tuesday afternoon. We're at the famous Caraway Speedway in Ashboro, North Carolina. We uh, have some business to tend to on the track today. Some big announcements coming up that we will. This is this is what in TV and radio we refer to as a teaser. Okay, give it to me. We have a what I would refer to for Saddle Stanley Racing a big announcement to make on the show later today mm-hmm. as it pertains to Sadler Stanley racing. And uh, so we'll, we'll get to that. We'll talk about what's going on with Sadler Stanley racing. We will recap last Saturday night's actual smart modified tool race. that took place here at the Caraway Speedway in Ashburn, North Carolina. And we will preview a big weekend of racing coming up, not only in the smart modified tour at the legendary South Boston Speedway, but also, it's NASCAR weekend at Richmond Raceway. And we've got some announcements coming up about that as well. So Pretty exciting stuff. Pretty exciting stuff. We've got a lot going on, and it's all good, and it's all um, positive. And by the way, it's all possible because of our friends at Pacematic. They've given us this tremendous platform on this podcast and on the racetrack with Sadler Stanley Racing and uh, we plan to carry that message to a lot of people and a new fan base also this weekend uh, with our with our Sadler Stanley Racing Team. So, a lot, lot to talk about, a lot to get to, and looking forward to a fun show today. Well, and I am too, and it's it's great that the Smart uh, Tour is coming, roaring back to Virginia. We've been here in North Carolina uh, running some races the first three weeks. Now we do a little Virginia spin before we take, what, a break for uh, mm-hmm. for uh, Bowman Gray. Yeah, yeah. So, and just to let people know what's What's going? What goes on with the Smart Modified Tour? For those that follow it, you know. But for those that may be following the podcast that don't know all there is to know about the Smart Modified Tour, we they start the season off, and then we've got a couple more races, and then they take off about two months to let these same drivers and race teams compete during the summer at Bowman Gray Stadium in Winston Salem, North Carolina, and that is a animal and a bear all of its own <laughs> why you say and that it's just a unique racetrack it's a unique facility it has a very loyal fan base and following uh they draw crowds unlike any other racetrack anywhere in the country uh i mean they pack the place every single weekend and so i think it's a great and i wish more promoters would take notice of things like that work together instead of working against each other right so to give these drivers an opportunity to compete in these smart modified tour and also be able to compete at Bowman Gray in their series of races in the summer, then come back and finish 
pick back up and finish the season in the Smart Modified Tour. I think it's a great move uh, for Chris and the officials at at the uh, Smart uh, Smart Tour to uh, to do that. So, uh, also, do you want to preview? I guess we got coming up. No, you do it. <laughs> I did the first part. <laughs> Bill, it's time for you to do something. All right, all right, all right, fine. But first, before we even get to that, now I hear, you know, Bowman Gray, sometimes the fights in the stands are as good as the racing on the track. I've heard you. Have you ever raced there? Never did. Really? Why not? Um, I just never ran, as I've mentioned several times on this podcast, other than going to watch Open Wheel Modifieds back at Martinsville Speedway back in the 70s and 80s. I've never really followed Open Wheel Modified racing that close. Um, we would sit up in the grandstands and race fans around the Commonwealth of Virginia will remember the old Dogwood 500 weekends at the Martinsville Speedway when there was a 250 lap late model sportsman race, which is now the, you know, then it became the Grand National Series. Then it became, which is now the uh, Xfinity Series. Back in the 70s and 80s, that was the late model sportsman division. My uncle raced in that, Bud Elliott. And there would be a 250-lap late model sportsman race and a 250-lapper for the open wheel modifieds. And I'm talking about Jeff Bodine and Richie Evans and, you know, the the, the old-school um, racers uh, of that era. And so I love to go watch them, but I never really followed them, never, never knew much about it, really, until we started getting involved with the Smart Modified Tour and the race I ran last year at Motor Mile. Uh, so I never... Never, you know, I never just really was into it, and you know, that would lead me to go race or go watch a whole lot at Bowman Gray. But certainly, um, like I said, they've done a great job of marketing and promoting not only the track, but their series and their drivers, the personalities of the drivers. You know, quite frankly, NASCAR could probably take some lessons from the promoters at Bowman Gray on how to, you know, uh, the action on the track and, and things around it. So it's certainly a lot of excitement around this series. And that really helps our, you know, just so people know, you know, Jonathan Brown is our main driver of our number 22, 22 in the smart modified tour. Well, when it comes to Bowman gray, he's got his own car that he'll be competing in, but the more he gets to race and the more fans get to know him and see him race and that awareness and that exposure that he gets, will benefit him when he comes back to finish out the season uh, with Sadler Stanley Racing in the Smart Modified Tour. So, um, And he runs the 22 at Bowman Gray. Yeah, that's his, his own setup. That's his number, mm-hmm. his own car. Yeah. And I hear like uh, people that are particularly fans that say Burt Myers, Jason Myers, mm-hmm. or or even Jonathan Brown, they sit in like their own section. Sure. And they're very territorial. And you don't cross over sections. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm hearing. You don't walk through sections with a hot dog and get to your section. You don't wear a Jonathan Brown shirt you in, do not. and wade into the no. into the Myers section. No, it's an enter at your own risk type thing for all those drivers. And that's one thing that makes it makes it cool. Um, but I'm learning more and more about that. Um, but we, uh, we're really hoping and working towards Jonathan Brown. You know, to recap so far, Jonathan, we've gotten – two pole positions in the first three races. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we basically started a team, let's just call it in January, right. you know, to, to get on the track, you know, be ready to go by February and early March. Uh, so our guys are, are doing a great job. The speed of the car is there, and we just got to have uh, Lady Luck smile on us a little bit in, in one of these races, and we'll have a chance. But the speed is there. When you can qualify 
on the pole two weekend two races in a row. And by the way, we got engine noise again <laughs> in the background, which I like. We're sitting right here in the yeah. middle of the infield. We're in the infield at Caraway Speedway. Uh, but um, you know, so looking forward to seeing a bunch of old friends again at South Boston Speedway uh, on Saturday night. I hadn't been there in a long time. The last time I went to South Boston. I raced in Denny Hamlin's short track showdown in, with a late model stock car. And that, I don't remember, I mean, it's close to 10 years ago, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And haven't been back to that track since then, but obviously. Was that uh, a home track for you? Uh, yes. Would you consider yeah, that was yeah, your home track? Yeah, in the late model days, yes. Mm-hmm. And um, so I know a lot of people are going to be there. The Smart Modified Tour is honoring the legendary Virginia racer, Ray Hendrick, uh, the uh, Flying Eleven. Uh, they're gonna ha- they're gonna be honoring him. Uh, they call they named the race after him, right? Uh, you know, and so in tribute, uh, yeah. Those um, those around Virginia that followed Roy Hendrick and Ray Hendrick and the Flying Eleven and Clayton Mitchell and Jack Tant and all the people that were behind that race team will get to see a replica of the car that Ray Hendrick drove. Uh, Roy, who I raced against, Ray's son, I raced against Roy at South Boston and other places. Roy's bringing a replica of the old coupe that. Um, that, that Ray, his dad, uh, drove to success and won many, many races on, you know, back in his heyday. And as I said, um, Clayton Mitchell was a part of that operation, who was a friend of my dad's, one of the best chassis men that we've ever seen in any kind of racing. He was well ahead of his time. And then Jack Tant, legendary engine builder, is still alive. He's got to be close to 90 years old now, but over at uh, in Littleton, North Carolina. And they had, they just had a wonderful race team, and like I said, they were they were way before their time. But you'll get to see that car making pace laps at South Boston Speedway Saturday night, prior to the green flag, and the Smart and Modified Tour 99 lapper uh, this weekend at the South Boston Speedway. Who's going to be driving it? I mean, do they have one of the Ray Hendrick? Members? Oh, Ray. Okay. Yeah. okay. yeah, Ray's going to bring it. Drive. I miss yeah. that. Yeah. Well, that's. I mean, that's great. And if you want tickets, and especially this podcast is coming out on Thursday. So you'll still have time to buy tickets at southbostonspeedway.com. You can buy them online. You can buy them at the track. But, you know, South Boston, every time there's a race, and I think this is their opening week, it's important. People load up. People get there. I think it's going to be a, a well-attended event. And ultimately, uh, you want you want to get those tickets now. And, and what I like, the last race of the night will be the Smart Modified Tour race, but it's a full slate of racing during the course of the day. Your favorite Late model stock car drivers will be there, street stocks, your, your normal racing Saturday program that you'll have at South Boston Speedway will be racing in addition to the Smart Modified Tour racers uh, that will take the green flag shortly after 4 o'clock on Saturday afternoon. And they'll hear this sound that's in behind us, it's right? Great. So it's great. I think it's great. great. It's driving your executive producer crazy, but I like it. Uh, Chad's been driving me crazy all week, yeah. so ever since from Caraway on in, but yeah. that, that's another story probably for another podcast. But I love that sound. That is uh, a late model stock car racer on the racetrack. Uh, just getting some testing laps in. We are outside underneath the tech shed here at the Caraway Speedway. So the natural nat sounds, as we call it in the television world, are shining through big and beautiful uh, here at Caraway Speedway. Now, do you want to talk okay. about the guests we'll have? On later in the show before we get to our leaning right moment? Absolutely. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to do it just like you did, a teaser. Okay. The person that we're having on this podcast, after we go through a couple sessions here and we do some testing, he was born in 1977 in South Bend, Indiana. But he's not a fighting Irish. He's a boilermaker. 
He, uh, he got his first championship in 1999 at the UN in the United States Auto Club Silver Crown Series. 2008, 2008 Daytona 500 winner. 2013 Brickyard 400 winner. And the 2002, he won the Winston. Back when they called race. it the Winston, yeah. the All-Star mm -hmm. race. Um, 725 ra uh, races run over 21 years in NASCAR alone. And let me tell you what his lineup is because it's pretty darn good. How it works out. Let's see here. Flip a page. So in that time, in those 725 races, he had 18 wins. That's Cup Series win. Cup. Yeah. 268 top 10s and 51 poles. Now, I could say his name, but I'll tell you his nickname. The you Rocket look at me Man. like I don't know. Oh, you don't? <laughs> you do know? It's the Rocket Man. Yep. We're going to have the Rocket Man on this podcast right here, right now at Caraway Speedway. After we hear that sound, after maybe he might j be jumping in a car. Isn't that right? He's yeah. going to shake down a new car for us, the second new Saddle Stanley Racing open wheel modified out of the Field Stefanelli PSR Products Racing Shop. We'll see its first time on the racetrack here today at Caraway Speedway. And we'll have more information and more announcements to come in a later segment on today's podcast as we talk a little bit more about Ryan Newman and uh, why he's here, what we're doing, and what our plans are uh, in the next couple weeks. You know, he doesn't have a ride this year in NASCAR. Why is that? You can ask him that. No, no, no. He'll no, be on no. the podcast. I'm not asking him that. You ask him that. I don't have the cojones to ask him that. <laughs> Well, can you ask him? If that's something you want to know, you can ask him. No, I thought you might know because you knew what his nickname was. If I'll I mean, ask he's him, he's a winner. I'll ask him what I want to know about him, and you can ask him what you want to know about him. And look, I pulled this all off of Wikipedia from the internet, so it must be true. Yeah, because your Wikipedia. I'm more interested great. in asking him about. I remember being at Bristol. And I don't remember the year, but I want him to tell the story. That the talk all week long heading into Bristol was. Could anybody ever run a sub 15 second lap at the Bristol Motor Speedway in a NASCAR Cup Series stock car? Hmm. And Ryan Newman qualified on the pole that day in the 1490 second, the first, only, and ever sub 15 second lap at Bristol Motor Speedway. Who was he driving for back then? Penske, Penske. I, I think. Yeah, I'll have to. I'll, well, I mean, he, he he drove for Roush, Penske. But there, there was a time, you know, back in Haas. those days. I mean, he won fifty-one poles, obviously. Yeah. So there was a time and place. He and Matt Boylan together as his engineer and crew chief. I mean, they were they were just on it. I mean, they you could just count on them. And there's no telling how many top two, top three qualifying runs he had in addition to fifty-one poles. But there was a time when I was doing TV for Speed and Fox. He showed up to the racetrack, and you'd be like. You know, why are we even wasting our time qualifying? Because Ryan Newman is going to sit on the pole. You know, they he just they just had it. You know, back in those days, at the time, and uh, it's catching lightning in a bottle. I yeah, mean, he, especially uh, they, in racing, they, they just wanted it. They they were they were locked in and had it going. So we'll we'll talk to Ryan Newman, the Rocket Man, uh, later today on leaning right and turning left with Sadler and the Senator. Look, before we go away from that, but Xfinity Series, sixty four races over nine years, seven wins. 35 top 10s, 12 poles. The fun one here is seven races run in the truck series. One win, six top 10s. So he was in the top 10 every time. Yep. One pole. Mm -hmm. I mean, success has followed him around. Yeah, he's, he's uh, and I said this to him and, and other 
people that I've talked to him about. He's one of the best racers of his generation. No, no question about it. And that's why I ask. Yeah. Why am I not watching him on Sundays yeah. on Fox? Yeah, you can ask him that. Can you ask him for me? No. You can ask him. Will he get up? I will like, ask him about the sub 15 second lap at Bristol. I will ask him about what he's doing now. That's more important to me than what he's not doing. Um, I know he's got great kids that he spends a lot of time with and uh, and loves dearly. I want to talk to him about Daytona last year. He rescues animals too. Yeah. I want to talk to him about Daytona uh, last year and how that went down and what went through his mind and his kind of his road back. Wasn't that 2020 when he wrecked? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was so, tough. Um, and he's had those kind of spectacular wrecks before where he's flipped over and bit on someone's hood. When you're going Talladega, fast, you wreck more. Right. You know? I mean, you you can do it any time. But I'm I'm excited to have Ryan uh, on the on the show. We'll have him on later today. And uh, it's going to be fun to see him taking a few laps in the Sadler Stanley Racing Open Wheel Modified uh, later today at Caraway Speedway. And then we'll – Talk about what might be next. You know, Chad, our executive producer. He's it a, looks like a, he's tickled to death, by the way. He's a little fanboy of Ryan Newman's. And his dad, that? too. His dad has a die-cast metal, a die-cast car that he asked his son to see if he would sign. Mm-hmm. But then he didn't bring the car. It's in South Carolina. Whatever, Chad. So Ch- Chad's over there in like a parka. Uh, he's a little cold-blooded, so this, I think, is a little chilly for him today. But it's kind of interesting. I mean, we're doing something we've never done before. We're sitting outside, a beautiful uh, classic racetrack. Had a lot of great racing uh, this past weekend. I think we did, you know, exceptionally well under the circumstances for what we're, we've got out there. Jonathan really just has good control, an excellent racer. He's in it to win it every time. I mean, I, I don't think we could ask for much more between PSR, Phil Stefanelli, and, and Jonathan Brown for our 22 car. All right. Uh, before we get back to racing, we wanna we'll take a short break and then we'll come back and do our leaning right moment. We'll talk about you guys have to go back to work. Yeah, I got a couple next things week to talk about in the General Assembly special session. We'll come back and discuss that. Then we'll have Ryan Newman on. No, no, no. We've got our turning left moment, which we're going to talk about. Are you making an announcement? Is the big announcement going to be about what your political future is? Is that what it is? It has, I mean, are you turning left? Always has to do with racing. We can move it up to my leaning right moment. There, there is no such announcement being had yet. This is important. <laughs> Pacematic is an entertainment company which develops gaming software that players love to play and can use their skills to win every time. Plus, these games of skill provide vital revenue to keep family-owned businesses like bars, restaurants, convenience stores, and truck stops thriving. We appreciate Pacematic and their support of leaning right and turning left with Sadler and the Senator. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. New Year's resolutions are just hard to keep up with, but saving money is easy at SaveWithConrad.com. Wouldn't 2022 be easier with lower monthly payments? Get the best rate you've ever had, pay off your credit card debt, and even get the cash you need right now at SaveWithConrad.com. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to get started, and you can even skip your next two house payments at SaveWithConrad.com. Find out how much money you can save for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Hi, folks. This is Hermie Sadler. Thanks for listening to our all-new podcast, Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. I hope you are enjoying the show as much as Senator Stanley and I enjoy bringing it to you. Whether you're a family traveling together or a truck driver hauling freight up and down the highway, I hope you will take the time to visit one of our Sadler Travel Plaza locations in Virginia and North Carolina. 
Saddler Travel Plaza locations are licensed dealer locations for Pallet Travel Centers. And we also carry Shell Motiva Petroleum products for our four-wheel friends. We pride ourselves on providing one-stop shopping for service, food, and entertainment. Our food options include Five Guys Burgers and Fries, Quiznos, Dairy Queen, Hermie Saddler's Faux Show Bar and Grill, Victory Lane Restaurant, Hunt Brothers Pizza, Dunkin' Donuts, and much, much more. Our locations include Saddler Travel Plaza in South Hill, located off I-85 at Exit 12, the Saddler Travel Plaza of Emporia, which is conveniently located on Exit 11B off I-95, and Saddler Travel Plaza on Highway 58 in Suffolk. We also have our North Carolina location, Saddler Travel Plaza in Dunn, North Carolina, that's Exit 75 off I-95. We appreciate all of our customers, and Bill and I appreciate you listening to Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacematic. And we're back, Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. We're at Caraway Speedway, Ashboro, North Carolina, and we're powered by Pacematic. Time for our Leaning Right moment, which, by the way, we are not at the high atop the Stanley Law Group skyscraper in downtown Richmond. We're not on the SLG Consulting Motorhome. We could not. We have yet to. We have yet to land a presenting sponsor for our studio, which means today we're sitting outside in the infield of a racetrack because we don't have a sponsor with a card table. With a card table. <laughs> because and Chad in a parka. Because we don't have a sponsor yet for our studio. This is grassroots, man. This is how we start. This is how we begin. From humble. We begin. Yeah. Well, I'm cold. Really? I'm fine. So uh, now is our leaning right moment, which is a, this a bad time to say we're also looking for a sponsor for our leaning right moment with Senator Bill Stanley? I have one. You have one? I have one. Oh, well, let's hear it. Ladies and gentlemen, the leaning right moment for this podcast is brought to you by Charlie's Waterfront Cafe in beautiful downtown Farmville, Virginia, right next door to the Greenfront Furniture Warehouse. If you want great food, great fun, great music, great drinks, great everything, go to Charlie's Waterfront Cafe, downtown Farmville, Virginia. Go see my buddy and my old roommate at Hampton Sydney College, Tom Graziano. Tell him that I sent you, and he will give you nothing off for your meal. Give you nothing off for your meal. <laughs> That's a great spot. Yeah. Uh, I do just you happen to know to a guy? That I'm getting. Off, I'm sorry. I'm getting off subject again. Yeah. We got to get to our leaning right moment. But you mentioned Greenfront Furniture. Greenfront Furniture. Yep. There's a crazy bastard that works for Greenfront Furniture named Winning Queensbury. Used to. Do you know Winning Queensbury? I do not. Okay. Dickie Crawley, the owner. Yeah. Uh, Ask Dickie Crawley. When you get a chance, I think he's retired now, but ask him to give you as best he can a quick synopsis of the life and the career at Greenfront Furniture of the one, the only, winning Queensbury. Winning, opposite of losing, Queensbury rules the box. Is that their real name? That's his real name. Really? Well, I know Tom Graziano now. He runs a, a good bar, good restaurant there at uh, Charlie's Waterfront Cafe. He also owns Greenfront? No, no. He owns the restaurant right next door. And uh, right there in one of the old warehouse buildings. It's a beautiful place. I've been to Charlie's. Yeah. Overlooking. My wife went to Longwood. Oh, really? Yeah. What years? I can't say that. 
Oh, okay. Well, you crazy. I, here, I went. I'm not uh, going to talk about what year she was in college, and not going to talk about uh, how much I she did, weighs either. I, I, well, I went to Hampton City from 1985 to 1989, and I was wondering if I owed her. 1985 apology. to 1999. Is that what you said? <laughs> yeah, about should have been, could have been. Almost stayed there. You know, Tommy and I talked about starting a restaurant together. We were roommates, best friends. Uh, I love him to death. He's one of the greatest guys you'll ever meet. Funny. Would you ask him if if he's interested in a slew of restaurants in Emporia? I will. Maybe I'll, some some slip-ins. I can. No, 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 no. Restaurants. Okay. Faux show, Victory Lane at the truck stop, Five Guys Burgers and Fries, IHOP, things of that nature. I've, I can, if he wants to expand down into the Mid Atlantic region of Emporia, Virginia, I can set him right up. I'll ask. Just you. walk right in and go to work. Tommy, I know you're listening at the. He'll to have this. to hire extra people just to help him count his yeah. money. Okay, the the I, that's the selling point. No, no employee <laughs> issues. What about no, the IHOP? No, no, it's just, just, it's all just gravy. It's just. <laughs> Unbelievable opportunity. You know, you and I off the air while we were getting ready to come back, we're talking about the the oil industry and and what a bunch of fascinating facts you were throwing at me. We're going to have to have a podcast about business because yep. we're about small businesses yep. and especially the oil business because I think there's a lot of misperceptions about us and what we see. You know, just a regular average Joe like myself who sure. sees something on TV wonders why gas prices are are so high. Mm-hmm. Just must think that you, Hermie, are just making money hand over fist. And what you told me was something completely different, and it's so fascinating. We're going to have to make that a podcast. Love to, but you're getting off the point. I want you to tell Mr. Graziano that I really would like for him to come expand down into Emporia. But on a serious note. Maybe we'll bring him on the podcast uh, one time. Charlie's is a great little spot there in Farmville. And uh, we've been there many times. As I said, my wife was in Longwood um, and uh, spent, spent a lot of time there as well. But... I'm anxious to know if anybody in or around Farmville or Green Bay, Virginia, can remember my friend winning Queensbury. Well, I'm telling you right now because Tommy will work the bar a lot. Mm -hmm. He's very active as an owner. If there's a guy named Winning, and if he likes an adult beverage, then Tommy Graziano knows it. (laughs) So, Tommy, uh, I know you're listening if you're out there. Uh, We're going to need an answer on uh, Hermes' question. Winning, opposite of losing, Queensbury rules a boxer. Anyway, I'm glad we've got a sponsor to our Leaning Right moment. Later today, I do not have a sponsor for my turning left moment yet. Well, why not Five Guys or Faux Show? Well, we don't know. Or Victory Lane. Budget constraints. Okay. All right, fine. Budget cuts. Well, I was doing my work. Yeah. You know, you keep working on it. I'll keep working on it. Now, this is a test run for Charlie's Waterfront Cafe. Okay, great. Well, he wants to hear it. What are, what are their business hours or anything along those um, lines? They serve lunch and dinner. Yep. Uh, and, of course, they have a, a very large bar and entertainment center. They have an outdoor patio. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have actually a uh, wine tasting room in the basement. Mm-hmm. It overlooks the beautiful Appomattox River. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a really nice spot and and great food. They've got great chefs. They change it up all the time. He's very particular, so you know they don't serve anything that's not to his standards. And he I've never had a bad meal there. I, I have I have literally been there dozens of times. He has lower, he, Tommy has lower standards in other things, but not food and yeah. drink. And well, sports. that ought to really help get another buy, <laughs> ad buy on the program. I'm telling you, he'd be great to have on this podcast. Yeah. No, no doubt. All right. Mike. Uh, so a leaning right moment is I want to set you up. You guys, uh, by you guys, I mean the General Assembly has been called back by Governor Yunkin. You go back to work when, and what do you plan to accomplish? So he called a special session, which you can do by the Constitution. Either two-thirds of the bodies of the House and the Senate can call a special session, or the governor can hand down a proclamation. And then every time we adjourn signing die, we basically dissolve the governmental body of the legislature, and then we have to reform. So we're going in Monday to reform. The problem is we still don't have a budget. What I'm hearing is we don't 
I, we haven't gotten close. Maybe they're talking. I don't know. I'm not, you know, my pay grade is a little lower than theirs uh, that do these kind of conversations. But so, so to explain to people like me and others that are just curious, if there are conversations going on and you're a state senator and you're not in on those conversations directly, who is on those conversations? So what they usually do, especially the, the party that's in power, is going to have, we have what's called conferees, budget conferees. And so those are selected by the chairman of finance. Uh, usually, the right now, the Democrat conferees in number would outnumber, outnumber the uh, Senate conferees uh, uh, on the Republican side. So we've got, uh, usually it's the more senior members of the Senate, uh, the ones that have been there a while. So they're the ones that usually work out the budget. On our side, we have Senator Norman. Uh, we have Senator Emmett Hanger. Uh, and we have Senator Steve Newman. And then they have theirs on the other side. So they're supposed to get together with the House, their conferees that, that the Speaker appoints, and get together and work on a budget. The two chairman of finance and appropriations in the House work out their differences. You know, because we have there are different topics. There's different um, there's different you know things that must be addressed. Uh, there's wish list items that maybe couldn't get financing. So the bills that maybe are supporting those die because we didn't have the funding for them in the budget. And there are those things that we always have to fund. Sound. <laughs> most, most, you know, like education, public safety, infrastructure, construction of roads and bridges and those kind of things. So um, we're about three and a half billion dollars apart between the House and Senate. That's a lot, actually. It's, and part of what we have, and it, and it may be that, you know, we're, we are rich with gluttony in terms of what we have in our bank accounts. Um, but that creates more of an issue, I guess, coming together in a budget than when we don't, when we have to cut or when we have to save. So maybe gluttony's holding us up because those priorities are different on either side of the aisle of what we should be spending money on. So we're, we're going back on Monday, but I don't know that we have a plan. There's been no plan given to me while we're testing today. I'm going to have a leadership conference, uh, our leadership caucus meeting with my Senate Republican leadership. Uh, I'm the whip for the Republican Senate caucus. And so we're going to see. I mean, I would hate that we just check in, form up, and then check out on Monday. I mean, I mean, that could happen? Yeah. Yeah. So then what happens with the budget? Well, then we, we're in session. We go pro forma, and they, they try to work out a budget, I guess, during that time. And, and when they got one, we'll come back. But we have other things to do. We have we have 47 bills that are still sitting, sitting out there. We have judges we have to pick. We're, you know, we're, we're kind of, I hate to say it, kind of dropping the ball. Um, I, and I'd like to get on with my business life and, and go visit my constituents and, and hear their concerns and and visit my, my my district as much as I can, but if you keep getting you know jerked back up to Richmond all the time for a one day a one and done, yeah, and you don't have answers yet either for mm. for the questions that people are going to have. Right, even for our localities, like how much money are we going to get for school funding? How much money are we going to get for you know our, our our sheriffs and for our our police forces? And we don't have any answers for them, so it's kind of frustrating. But it's a part of the process. We've done uh, more than once. We've done overtime. Um, but this just seems and feels different. I don't know why. Uh, so my leading moment is, here's your government at work. Maybe working, maybe not working. Who knows? And, uh, and I, I would just hate to see us go in on Monday and, and leave. But that may be it. I mean, that may be what we're doing. Uh, I don't know what kind of work we can do. But we should sit there and we should get it done. If we have to stay a week, we have to stay a week. I'm clearing my week, continuing my cases, doing everything I can for you know, my people. I'm going up early on Friday. 
We've got meetings. We've got meetings through the weekend. We've got all this stuff that we've got to do. It interrupts even, you know, my ability to go, you know, honor and, and remember my 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 mentor, my good friend, Gil Davis, who I love very much and miss very much. And one podcast, we're going to have to have Joe Camerata back on and talk about Gil Davis because there's some great funny stories outside the Paula Jones case, which we had on an earlier podcast that has been very popular. Yep. So my leaning right moment is the failure of us to get a budget done. I'm hopeful. I'll continue to be hopeful. Um, but we'll see if this is a perfunctory exercise or we're actually going to roll up our sleeves and get something done. Now, I have another leaning right moment, and it involves you. It does. Yeah. Okay. In the Senate, but not announcing for anything. I just wanted to thank you. You know, we've been getting a lot of uh, a lot of publicity, a lot of positive publicity. There's a company in Virginia. I won't name the company, but it's been named in the newspapers, and and they breed beagles for use in scientific experiments, which I disagree with. You know, I'm a, a big rescue animal kind of guy. Right. Uh, and they got cited. As he is Ryan Newman, our guest later today. And I might ask him about that. And and so. When we went up there, uh, they had some USDA violations, some significant violations. So myself and Senator Dave Marston, a Democrat from Northern Virginia, made a, made a visit up there. And um, we uh, sat down with them. They were very frank with what they thought their problems were, what the sources of those problems were. Because the pandemic, they were breeding beagles, but beagles weren't getting sold because no experimentation was going on, which is a good thing. But it left a surplus of 480 beagles of various ages, but were outside of the clinical usefulness age. And um, I had two beagles. In fact, that day I got my second beagle, Dixie, uh, and I paid for them. Um, but I told them, look, you're not going to, because I guess what, what they have to do is in order to make space, they euthanize them. And Invigo was good about uh, working with me. And I said, you're not going to, we're not going to do that. We're going to find adoptive homes for them. And in fact, not only do I have two Invigo, oh, I said their name, Invigo Rescue Beagles, uh, somebody sitting at this small car table has two rescue beagles from the facility. I do. And uh, what are their names? Haley, my middle child, we always put her in charge of naming our animals. She named the two beagles, which we love, by the way, both females. I got them the week of Christmas, the week before Christmas. Went up and got them. One of them's name is Violet. And the other one's name is Phoebe. Oh, that's great. So Haley named Daisy and Dixie. Violet and Phoebe. So Haley has a hard time with names. Like one of Naomi's cats, his name is Finley. Haley calls him Friendly. <laughs> and That's you know, cute. Yeah, so she doesn't, she kind of names them what yeah. she wants to name them and puts her little spin on their names. But she named them both. And actually Haley rode with me the day that I went and, uh, and picked them up. It was a beautiful picture. I had no idea, um, you know, never had a beagle for a pet, um, never been around beagles that much in my life at all. But I got to tell you, they they are two of the best pets. Yeah. I mean, they are friendly, loving. And so at my house now, and I just hope that the animal control people in Emporia are not listening to this podcast because I'm out of compliance. <laughs> With the amount of animals that I'm supposed to have without a kennel license. Now, wait a minute. Now, in today's society, can't you say that one of those beagles identifies as a cat? You're fine. I'm hey, your lawyer. I can that's do why that. you Look, that's why I got you. <laughs> yeah, I'm there for you. I got to file some paperwork as soon as I get home. Yep. So we've got- Phoebe identifies as a kitten. We've got now got the two beagles, Phoebe and Violet. We've got three labs. We've got 
a black lab named Jade. We Haley calls him Pup Pup. We've got a yellow lab named Bristol for Bristol Motor Speedway. Oh, wow. That dog used to belong to Elliot. Elliot and Blake Shelton got labs, trained labs to hunt, duck hunt and things of that nature at the same time. Elliot got the dog and the dog turned into a pet. And Elliot said, well, the dog don't hunt no more. I don't want it. <laughs> so my wife adopted that dog from my brother. Of course. So he's a yellow, she's a yellow lab named Bristol. And then we got a, um, a chocolate lab. Same time I got the two beagles. Right. And do you want to say why you got the chocolate lab? I got the chocolate lab because this goes back to a common problem I have with you, <laughs> Senator Stanley. And that is you're hot and cold when it comes to communicating, even with people Here that you say again. are your friends. Here we go. So you and I have been talking for, I don't want to exaggerate, but a little bit. I want to. Yeah, go ahead. A couple months. Okay. Is that November, fair? Well, I got Dixie in November and said. Okay. you. We started having initial meaningful dialogue about possibly me adopting two beagles, let's say in early November. Yes. Okay. That's that's about right. Okay. Yes. So as I said, we were getting to the week of Christmas. And I had had this conversation because I never know you probably – your wife, you probably understand your wife better than I understand mine. No, no, no. Mm-mm. I had no idea how my wife would react to possibly getting two more puppies to the house. She could have said, oh, I, I can't wait. Can I go with you? Or because she could say, I bet the same thing she said when I told her you and I were starting a race team. Have you lost your damn mind? <laughs> I, it could be either of those. Uh-huh. So she tells me, yes, um, that would be great. Love to have the. So then she got her mind as my as did my daughters, Cora, Haley, and Naomi. Oh, we're getting two new puppies for Christmas. Mm-hmm. So as we got further towards Christmas, first week, second week, third week of December, I call, text, leave messages, call, <laughs> text, leave messages. Call, text, leave messages. You must have had the wrong number. No response. So I'm sitting here like on Tuesday before Christmas thinking, Bill has either forgotten me or certainly forgotten the fact that we've talked about us adopting these two beagles or a bigger name on the other line, whatever it might be. (laughs) A bigger name. But Santa Claus, I do know, is going to have to come up with – puppies for Christmas morning. Right. So I had been talking to this other lady uh, that lives not too far from Emporia that breeds and raises lab puppies. We had recently uh, lost, had to put down uh, our old chocolate lab named M&M. Don't you always hate that? From when my brother drove M&M's car. Oh, wow. Uh, Haley named that dog too? Oh, yeah, sure. Okay. So Great uh, names. Haley, um, M&M, we lost M&M. So I said, okay, I, how I can fix this is since Bill has screwed the pooch on the on the puppy. <laughs> Literally. Uh, on the beagle situation, Santa Claus has got to go get a puppy. So Naomi and I went and met our new chocolate lab puppy named Macon, 
you don't like the name of that dog because it's named after Randolph Macon. Or bitter where, rival. Where my Hammond daughter City. plays softball. Right. She does a great job, yeah. but it's still yeah. Randolph Macon. Kyle. Yeah. <laughs> so we go pick up, spend the morning and pick up our new chocolate lab puppy named Macon. And then as I'm pulling out of the driveway, after I've b- bought, purchased, paid for, <laughs> and my daughter is in love with, already in love with Macon, you decide to call me and say, hey. Can you head to, I guess we can say it now, Invigo. Cumberland Cumberland County. Go to Cumberland County to Invigo tomorrow morning at 11 o'clock and pick up the two puppies and pay for them and take a picture for the paper. And I was like, so so am I going to say. You had no faith. Bill? I didn't want to get it to you during Thanksgiving because it was Christmas. It had nothing to do with that, more so the fact that you just sometimes choose to go MIA, AWOL. On any, not even about puppies, on any number of Man, subjects. I feel bad. But, so, you know, you're not Chad alone. is shaking his head like, <laughs> I agree, but I can't, I can't agree because I'm on the payroll. Cost you two days vacation, Chad. <laughs> uh, but ultimately, <laughs> we brought the, uh, the two beagles home. And they, so now at night, before we go to bed, we have a, a play session in our bedroom. And it's. They're wide open, aren't they? Three labs, two beagles. We've got a St. Bernard named Chloe and a Yorkie named Sadie. Wow. There are seven of them all running around the house in the bedroom. Like, and they all like, they're like sisters, all of them. They all like, they all just figured it out, you know? And um, so those two beagles, um, Violet and Phoebe, have become two wonderful new members of the Sadler household. Now, I'm going to tell you, Chad, I, when I got the call, you know, he's, he, he did say, where have you been? And I'm like, I was arranging this for you. So the next call I got, you know, he's like, hey, great. This is great. They're gorgeous. We love them. He sent me a picture. It was lovely. It's Christmas time. The next call I get about these dogs is from Hermie. He goes, hey, Bill, can you, can you answer me a question? I said, yeah. He said, are these dogs supposed to crap this big? <laughs> Everywhere, all day, every day. Well, from experience, yes. I wasn't going to get to the point where these lovely, beautiful, in the case of the Beagles, adopted animals that we love. Rescue. Rescue animals. I was not going to get to the point on the podcast where I admit that if I had to estimate, they've done $50,000 worth of damage to my house. Wow. Well, let's cut that part out because <laughs> so, <laughs> these are beautiful dogs, and we still have some to adopt. We had 480 to adopt. This is my final. The part damage of my was opinion. done. The other dogs did that. Yeah, they, yeah. They, labs are bad. They they bite on doors and and well, and you get puppies. Moldings That's what you're and, gonna do. You know things of that nature. Yeah. So so, so we've we we were released 480 dogs, and and Vigo's done a very good job in terms of transport, making sure the medicals are up to date. Behavior was good on each one of the dogs. They did studies on those. They were even paying for the spay neuters. And all the cost of transportation for our releasing agencies in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Homeward Trails uh, is one of the great ones up in Northern Virginia. Sue Bell has been unbelievable. And she has been able to find forever homes for these dogs that otherwise might have been euthanized or subjected to scientific experiments for over 300 dogs. Is that right, Chad? And they are, and they are, we have 50 or so of those still in the Commonwealth of Virginia waiting for adoptive homes. If you want, to adopt one of these great beagles, 
and and I have two, and I have five dogs as well, and they haven't tore up my house at all. Well, I mean, the hard thing was is look, they're they've never known life without being in a concrete run, mm-hmm. indoor outdoor chained cage run. So hard surfaces to them appear to be the places where <laughs> you should do your business. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right on. So there is a bit of a learning curve, but it's worth it, and they are so loving and so appreciative. And just so in tune, you know, with, with emotions. And, you know, my, my daughter, uh, my beautiful, beautiful daughter, Aubrey, was having a bad day at school. Man, the dogs knew. Yep. And the dogs were right there, especially uh, her dog, Daisy. And, and you know, just to see that, to see them have that forever life, and even for the first time to put their paws on grass, mm-hmm. which they find to be foreign, then that's sometimes also part of your problem because they say, oh, this is where we play. Mm-hmm. And then you'll put them outside for a while and you got to train am- them and they'll come back in and go, all right, now it's time to go to the bathroom. I've been amazed. <laughs> but as they're, I told you, they're easily trainable. I've been amazed at how not only how all these different dogs of different breeds have learned to get along and, yeah. you know, they get in the truck together, they play together, mm-hmm. they, you know, all that. But they all, you mentioned their keen sense of awareness. Mm-hmm. You know, those that don't know, I'm sure most people that listen to this by now know my middle child has autism. Right. And all of those dogs, they can be running around crazy, crazy, wild, playing, throwing the ball, doing all that. But when they get near Haley, they sit. And, like, they sit like, Haley, you're you're special. And what can we do for you? Mm-hmm. You know, they they, That's great. they sense the – and all of them, the St. Bernard – same way. I mean, she, Sadie's, I mean, um, Chloe got away 175 pounds, maybe closer to 200. But when they all get near Haley, they all calm down and, mm. and they, they let Haley pet them or whatever the case may be. And they, they all have a have a have an awareness yeah. of, of, of that. Amazing. Uh, and they can tell when you're having a you know, bad day, good day. Even these dogs have been uh, have been bred and raised for these experiments. He's got awful experiments. They have that perception, mm-hmm. and they're they're really in tune with it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I have five dogs. You have six. It sounds like seven. Seven. Well, good. And three cats. So, can I go back to my wife, Lauren, and say, "Look, Hermes got seven. That means we have room for two more. Three labs. No, you don't think so, Chad. Three labs, two beagles, Saint Bernard, Yorkie, and three cats." Mine is an uh, Australian sheep dog, sheep herder. She's Bindi, you know, after Bindi, you know, mm-hmm. the alligator, yeah. crocodile guy's mm-hmm. daughter. We thought that was a great name. And of course, we have a committee on the names in the Stanley family. So we make a list of like 30 names and then we like draft. You, okay, this round you can pick six. This round, the next round you pick five. And so we whittle them down. And the, the final two, and the kids are really great at, at naming, then you have a first name and a middle name. So we have. Bella, who's kind of a schnauzery, you know, almost like a Benji-looking dog. You've got Bindi, who's the Australian. You've got uh, Daisy and Dixie, who are the Beagles. And then you have Draper, who was found running around in the streets of Martinsville by our sheriff, Sheriff Draper. Great guy. Um, he sent me a picture. I said, okay, we'll take it because my, my youngest boy, uh, Chandler, wanted a black and white dog. And it was supposed to be, it looked like a Beagle. It had a little brindle color to it. And now it is, we call her the Tank. Because she has the body of a, of a... I saw her at the racetrack. Yeah. She, Southern she, National Motorsports Park. She has the body of a, uh, basically just a, I, I, I don't even know how to describe it, but she's just a tank. She has a little tiny head and a big tank body. So um, she's, a, yeah, even like a pit bull. But she's as friendly as can be, a little neurotic, but we, they all get together and they all get along. And here's the funny thing. We have cats to rescue and they're all rescues. And they like the cats and especially the beagles are like, they'd never seen a cat before. So they're like... 
I want to be you. I want to be your friend. I want you to teach me how to walk on the back of the couch. Our cats are rescued too. True story. The the last two were picked up on the side of the road right? near the lake. And they uh, one of them, after the, the first initial uh, trip to the vet, uh, unfortunately didn't make it. But the last two we've had now for five, six years are doing great. Cats are great. Get back, get back to the name real quick. I think it's – this is funny for me, but – Haley names all of our dogs. Haley named all the cats. But the funniest thing is my youngest, Naomi, her name is Naomi Rose. Mm-hmm. So Haley has heard Angie for her entire life. You know, when Naomi does something good, Angie says, Naomi, hey, Naomi, sweet Naomi, da, da, da. When Naomi misbehaves, Angie says, Naomi Rose, <laughs> Naomi Rose. So Haley... My middle child has always thought that Rose is something you add when you're mad at somebody. Ah. So when Haley's mad at me, she says, Daddy Rose. <laughs> and when she's mad at Elliot, she'll say, Elliot Rose. And if she's mad at Chloe, the St. Bernard, she says, Chloe Rose. <laughs> so Haley, true, true now, when Haley is mad at you about anything, she adds the Rose to the, to the name because she's heard Angie all of her life, Naomi Rose, you know, instead of Naomi, you know. Yeah, that's hilarious. So when you go back next week mm-hmm. for your uh, special session, I'd like to hear a Janet Rose. You got it. Or <laughs> Tommy Rose. <laughs> Senator Norman Rose or, yeah. <laughs> or the senator from James City County Rose. Rose. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll see yeah. if I can work that in. They, and just tell them. Haley says when you're showing frustration – with someone. Yes. You don't need to curse. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. Just put a rose in there. And so, we will know that you mean what you say. Just that reminds me that uh, our lieutenant governor, one of the greatest lieutenant governors we've ever had, Winsome Earl Sears, uh, history-making lieutenant governor, after all this was going on, and, and we, were, we were actually bringing dogs into the General Assembly and having them be adopted by senators, delegates, uh, members of their staff. We, we probably parked about 10 dogs uh, in good homes. Uh, one day I, I pressed my button to speak, and she said, uh, the Sen- Senator Beagle, the senator <laughs> from Franklin. And I said, this Beagle rises for the purposes of an introduction. So everybody got a big laugh, and it's been a big thing. I think we're we're, we're going to continue that program with Invigo, uh, continue to find these beautiful dogs, beautiful homes, and forever homes. And, and so that, you know, you do a lot of things and for your area, and that's what I fight for. But the, those kind of things are the feel-good things that you do. We, I passed four pieces of legislation with Senator Jennifer Boisco. She's a Democrat from Northern Virginia as well. I worked very hard to put some regulatory processes in place so these dogs are treated humanely. If they're going to breed them, if this is an industry, then you've got to, you've got to treat them kindly, humanely, and you, you can't have the problems that they're having. So let's hope that Y'all, that y'all all to be commended uh, for that. And actually, uh, these beagles have provided – the one little piece of lifeline or something that I might have in common with Senator Howell. She, she's she a beagle a big, lover. She and I actually sent her pictures with me with my beagles, and she yeah, sent me she's a picture She's a beagle back. lover. Beagle lover. Yeah. yeah, not a senator beagle lover, yeah. but she's a beagle lover. And then the other place I'd like to give a, a shout-out to is in Wyoming, who has taken on a lot of these dogs, and it's a, it's a dog sanctuary, and it is called... The Kindness Ranch. Thank you. See, this is why I bring Chad with me. Because as kindness I get older, ranch. yeah, Kindness Ranch. So shout out to those guys as well. Uh, really appreciate all the hard work they do and caring for animals, just like Ryan Newman does, and he has a foundation that 
that uh, educates people on treating an, uh, animals humanely and also uh, rescues dogs as well. And that's that's great. Just know when I call you, if I say Billy Rose, <laughs> I'm surprised I haven't heard that earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, now it's time for the turning left moment. Now, the turning left moment. The turning is, left moment is going to be Ryan Newman. He's coming up next. No, no, it's brought to you by. Oh, right. You don't have, I don't a, sponsor. have a sponsor. Okay. So let me just run through some things. I thought I would do something because my wife, she loves racing. She doesn't know all the terminology. Here's what I thought I'd do. Just a, a fast round kind of um, ask you one of those things. Um, you know, you hear a lot of terms in racing mm-hmm. and people don't know, you know, like camber. Right. You know, you hear, I got a lot of camber in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to ask you, let's start with camber. Okay. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to give you a term. You're going to give me a bumper sticker version of what it means. Okay. Camber. Camber is the angle in which the tires are actually mounted on the race car. The camber can be adjusted usually by shims, uh, things with the upper and lower control arms of the cars. So in other words, what you try to accomplish with camber is to have at the point in the center of the corner where the car has the most load on it in the center of a corner, say here at Caraway, you want the camber to be set that at the place where the most load is, the entire contact patch is on the racing surface. And the contact patch of the tire. The compact contact patch of the tire. Okay. In the middle of the corner on the max load, you want that as much of that tire on the track as you can possibly get. And that's for grip? For grip in the center of the corner. Like if you've got a 12 inches of a tire patch, you want all 12 inches on the track in the center of the corner. Now... You may notice if you go to the racetrack or watch on TV or go to a smart modified tour this weekend, when you see the cars just being pushed through the garage and going straight, you'll see the right front tire leaned in at the top and you'll see the left front tire leaned out at the top. So when the cars are not under load or not in a corner or just being pushed through a, through a, through the garage, they look like they're, they're tilted over, you know, to the left. And they are in such that so when the car goes into travel in the corner, the tires level up and the con the complete contact patches on the track on the track. You should teach a course in this. I think this is great. I'm learning more uh, every day. All right, you hear a lot of racers say, you know, I had to lift in the corner. I had to, I lifted right there, and that and the guy in front of me uh, or the guy behind me didn't lift. Yeah, and we got into it. Yeah. What's lifting? Well, lifting is just like you do when you pull up to the stoplight in your street car. You have to get off the gas when you see somebody in front of you that is uh, slowing down or, you know, or taking a different entry to the corner. And that's the difficult thing. There's one thing to be able to go on the racetrack by yourself and cut laps. But when you're, when you're on the racetrack with, in, in, in the case of NASCAR, 38 other cars and, you know, there'll be, you know, there'll be 37, 38 smart modified tour modifies this weekend at South Boston Speedway. You have to let off or, or prepare for your entry into the corner, uh, in accordance with what the guy in front of you is doing. Mm-hmm. So lift off the gas. And in most cases with race cars, you want to break before you start turning down into the corner or try to get most of your braking done before you start turning into the corner because race cars don't typically respond as good when you're in the middle of the corner with a lot of turn into the wheel and heavy braking as well. Braking sometimes makes the car want to go straight. Mm-hmm. Um, so you want to try to get off the gas on the brake while you're going straight, get back off the brake, and then make the corner, and then pick the gas up as soon as possible to get off the next corner. Okay, so a lot of times you'll hear, especially if you're listening to uh, the driver talking to his spotter or his crew chief on the radio, 
Uh, car's too tight. Car's yep. too loose. Tell us what the difference car's is. Car's too tight. Uh, the technical people call that an understeer. You know, you go in the corner and you turn the wheel, and the front tires want to go straight. They do not want to turn in accordance with how much we how much you turn the steering wheel in the center of the corner. That's called too tight. You can call it a push. Uh, like I said, smart people call it understeer. And if a car's too loose, it's exactly the opposite. If a car's too loose, the front end is gripping too much, and then the back end of the car wants to come around to kind of chase the front. Mm-hmm. So then you've got a, a balance issue where if you're too loose, in most cases, your front end of the car's got too much grip, and it's, it's, it's locking down too tight, and it's making the back of the car too free. And, you know, I know the old saying people like to say, loose is fast, but... When a car is too loose for too long, especially one of these smart modified tour cars, you burn the right rear tire off, and then you've got no forward drive off the corner, and then you're a sitting duck. You can go nowhere uh, if if you've got no forward drive. So when you see a, a race car driver, let's say, you know, in car camera, NASCAR, and he's really working the wheel, kind of left, right, left, right, even though he's going around, uh, let's say turn one, turn two, turning left. Well, he's he's also anybody right, who's hacking the wheel, anything like that means that the car is nervous and the driver is uncomfortable and typically that doesn't work if you watch in car cameras you know i know i look back at old film from back in the 80s with kale yarborough and daryl waltrip and dale earnhardt and you see them bouncing around and driving you know that's a whole different era that's a bias class tire it's a big spring it's not a lot of downforce not a lot of balance in the car and the guys are manhandling but in, in, in basic terms, in today's racing, when you look at an in-call camera shot from somebody, if they just got the wheel turned a little bit to the left and the hands of the driver are quiet, that's usually when that driver is running the best. Okay. Uh, when you want the car to, 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 to drive a little bit on the right front and the hands be soft, that's when you've got the chance to be the most consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you can make the car be a little bit freer to be faster, uh, but that's a that's a driver comfort thing, and that's related to you know the kind of track, the kind of car, the kind of tires, the kind of brakes, all those kind of things. But typically speaking, you want the driver, you want your driver to be turning the wheel a little bit to the left and, and holding a quiet wheel. That's what gives you the best chance to be good for the longest runs. Okay. So a couple more, and then I have another turning left moment I want to ask you about. A downforce. What is what is downforce? downforce what's, what's the effect on a race car? Yeah, downforce is basically when the air or the wind pushes down while you're on the racetrack, pushes down on the car to make grip. So when you're riding down the highway, you may, if you pull up behind a transfer truck or something like that, you may feel some turbulent air around your car. You can feel it blowing you around. Well, when you build race cars, when these smart people put the bodies on these race cars, they've kind of figured out how they want the cars to squat on the track from the air that when they're going through the air, the, the force of the air pushes the car down and the, the, or the people, aerodynamics, aerodynamics mm-hmm. and the, and the teams have learned how to put the bodies on the cars and how to place the spoilers and get the spoiler to get as much air as it possibly can. And how the, how the body squishes the car down on the track and, uh, so you actually use the air that's created by being on the racetrack running 90, 100, 120, 140, 150 miles an hour. Uh, you use that air to push down. 
And that's why you're also here talking about clean air. When, when you're on the racetrack by yourself, you've got 100% maximum downforce on the car. But when you've got another car on the outside of you or another car on the inside of you or another car right in front of you, they're taking air off of your car. And so your car is going to be more difficult to drive. If it's somebody on the outside of you or inside of you, your car is probably going to be skatey. It's not going to be enough air on the car to push your car down mm-hmm. and get grip. If there's somebody right in front of you taking the air off the nose of your car, then you're not going to have the front end down for it. Your front end is not going to grip and turn so you can get on the gas quick and get a good run off the corner. So your car, and, and that's why it's difficult. You see drivers Because it's disrupting the airflow, right? That's why you see, yes. That's why you see sometimes on a race on Sundays now, the NASCAR races, a guy can be up front gone, like there's nobody on the racetrack can run with him. He has a bad pit stop or has something happen. He comes in the pits, comes back out 10th. It's a completely different race car because he doesn't have that clean air pushing down on his car. Ah. Therefore, you know, a guy that went from being the fastest car on the track by two-tenths of a second gets stuck in 10th place because he can't go anywhere. He can't get enough downforce on his car to get the grip that he needs to run fast anymore. He's stuck in that dirty air, as we call it, and sometimes it's difficult to – set your car up for that. So let's just say, okay, now you're back in 10th. You make another adjustment to your car to maybe tighten that car up to get it more grip. And then all of a sudden, if you happen to get back out front again, your car is going to be too loose <laughs> because you've made the adjustment to be in traffic. So it's a, it's definitely a, a, a high wire act when you're trying to find the right balance for where you might be on the racetrack at any given time. Okay. My last one, but we're going to have to play this again. This is great. This is Hermie Sadler's, Racing vocabulary. It doesn't matter because nobody can understand course? what I'm saying anyway. Is this a credit course? Do I get like a grade? <laughs> you get no credit for none, <laughs> Billy Rose. <laughs> Here it is already. Yeah. All right. The last one is wedge. wedge. Now they come in and said, let's put some wedge in it. Yeah. And isn't that when they've got the little machine? Jack bolt. Little jack yeah. Bolt yeah. Yeah. So most of the, uh, the, the springs in the cars, you have jack bolts. Um, the spring has a plate on the top and bottom. And when you want to put wedge into a car, you typically – want to screw down on the left rear spring or screw up on the right rear spring. In other words, your left rear spring, if you've got a, let's just say for the sake of conversation, a 200-pound left rear spring in your car, if your car is too loose and you want more forward drive, you would crank down on that spring to to make that spring shorter and give it more spring rate. So you could turn that spring, say, from a 200-pound spring to a 250-pound rated spring. Same thing for the right rear. If you want to screw off the right rear jack bolt, you would make a maybe a 250-pound spring become a 225-pound rated spring. Hmm. Um, and, and you put wedge in the left rear, or you can take wedge out, you know, based on, based on what you want. But it has to do with, typically speaking, when a car is loose, you put wedge in. When the car is tight, you take wedge out. But there are a lot of things that come into that. You have to maybe sometimes put rounds in the left rear, and take them out of the right rear because sometimes you have to keep the the um, the ride heights because you, know, you have to go through tech inspection at a NASCAR right. race and your car has to be a certain height. Excuse me on both sides, so you um, you have to sometimes do it in in multiple corners of the car to get add wedge or take wedge out or put more cross weight in or take cross weight out and also keep the ride heights of the car intact. Okay, so since I gave you two uh, leaning right moments, um, here's the second one for a turning left moment. Now, we had the Circuit of the Americas this race the past weekend. I'm not big on on 
road courses, I just, you know, it's kind of hard to watch. Gets, I don't know, old after about 30 minutes. And especially when they're under yellow, it takes like 10 minutes to get around one, one lap. But Atlanta, Atlanta came out with a new track, new asphalt, new coverings. I thought the racing was great. Better than I've seen because Atlanta was a lot of spread out cars and not so exciting over the past couple of years. What were your thoughts on the new track at Atlanta Motor Speed? I loved it. Um, I got I, I, tell you, I give Marco Smith a lot of credit. I mean, the guy's not afraid to take a chance. You know, Marcus just to let people know, Marcus and his family, his dad is Bruton Smith. Uh, Marcus is the son, a good friend of mine, fellow Tar Heel, UNC graduate, but not afraid to take a chance. Um, you think about what they've done. They brought dirt in and put it on the Bristol Motor Speedway, and they did all that. That was ballsy. Yeah. I mean, and he took he turned one of the races in Charlotte every year into the Roval race uh, to try to drive new interest, and that race has been ultra successful. Mm-hmm. <coughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't mind those uh, those road courses like the Roval or the Indy Roval. Those because they're shorter. But when you get into the you know like the Sonoma stuff and and that kind of that, that length, I don't, I don't know. I like more short track race. But I, I'm just saying, Marcus and SMI is the name of that company. I do some work for them on PRN Radio. I uh, co-host uh, Fast Talk on PRN Radio every third Monday night. They named it after you? At the Charlotte Motor Speedway. Yeah. <laughs> Fast Talk? Yeah, Fast Talk. That's you, So, uh, so I alternate with Kyle Petty and Jeff Hammond uh, on there. But, you know, for turning, transforming Bristol into a dirt track, yeah, taking the Roval, you know, to Charlotte, redoing Atlanta and changing the type of racing. Oh, it was great. Uh, he's involved in the project. They're working on North Wilkesboro. I mean, he's he's just not afraid to, you know, to to put it on the line. That's great. You know, in, in racing terms, we would say put them on the dash for a qualifying run. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I think you understand what I'm yes, talking sir. about. Um, and he's not afraid to do that in the promoter end of it. He's not afraid to spend the money. And they're big enough to put on the dash. Yeah. Yeah, I, and but, I thought the side still, by side was still, great. I mean, you've got to. It could be easy for him to say, "Look, we're doing okay with what we got. We'll stick with what we got." But he's not done that. He's done everything he could do. That being Marcus Smith and the whole team at SMI, they've done everything they could do to try to improve the experience for the fans at all of these racetracks. And I think by what we've seen with the attendance. And what we've seen with TV numbers and things of that nature, people are responding. Okay. All right. Now I have another one. So I'm going to go three. Three unsponsored turning lefts. So you're going to have unsponsored. to get a sponsor. <laughs> unsponsored. <laughs> so so here we are at Caraway. Now look, somebody listening on this podcast, give me a call. <laughs> I'm take, Look, I'm starting my sponsor of the turning left moment at 10 bucks. Ooh. Ten bucks. I don't know what you got from Mr. Graziano. No, no, no. You, uh, <clears throat> and I'm sorry if I undershot. Yeah, but I'm starting out load. with ten bucks. By a lot. Ten bucks. Okay. Well, you know, desperation requires desperate moves. No and question I'm about that. it. And I'm desperate. Final. I cannot. Head, I cannot sit here and have you tell me. By the way, this is unsponsored. <laughs> Not a fan of that. Well, you know, encouragement. We're encouraging. And that's how we do Ten we usually, bucks for the sponsor, the turning left moment on the next podcast. We usually encourage Somebody hit each me other up. by giving each other crap. That's Somebody hit me up. A part of our personality is Somebody hit me up. Yeah. 
and I'm sure you're going to have it now. They're going to be lining up out ten the door. Ten bucks. It's going to take ten, It's going to take fifteen minutes just to read That's all great. the sponsors. Ten bucks. But it a will piece. not be unsponsored. It will. It not. might be undersponsored, <laughs> but it will not be unsponsored. <laughs> my last, my last question to you. I know you were at your daughter's base uh, softball games. You go to all of them, which is just great. I mean, yeah. every parent should should undertake the responsibility and the obligation you do. And plus, I know you enjoy the heck out of them. Her her Randolph making college softball team. Yeah. Is ranked eighth in the nation or sixth? Sixth. This sixth week. in the nation. They've yeah. only had two losses this year. Is that correct? Seventeen and two so far. Yeah. Okay. So you're watching great softball. We were here at Caraway. We started on the pole. Uh, we beat everybody on the fastest lap time uh, during qualifying. Uh, he runs up front, gets collected in a couple wrecks. Mm-hmm. We end up finishing with a top ten top finish. 10, yeah. Give me your thoughts on what you saw in the Smart Modified Tour Series here at Caraway last week. And I know you watched. Both on your phone and and you watch through Flow Racing, which yeah, everybody racing, can watch this by Flow Racing. And I've got a, um, I really like to watch. Um, you know, I'm also in the go kart business, um, and I get to follow. Why don't they sponsor? I get to premiere. I get to follow. Uh, for ten bucks, they will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> premier Racing Chassis. Oh wait, I see. I see. I see what's going on. I see what's going on. Did I say www.thepremierkart.com? Um, <laughs> it's going to be faux show, five guys, <laughs> and premier, and all ten buck entries here on the next no, week. Actually, that's ten divided by three, so that's three dollars and thirty three cents a piece. <laughs> um, but the, I got a little thing on my phone. It's called Race Monitor. Mm-hmm. That I watch my go kart. It's races. an app. It's an app on my phone called Race Monitor. And I've got go-kart customers racing all over the country. Mm-hmm. And the reason I like to watch Race Monitor is because I can see lap times. I can see everybody's lap time in the field every lap. So the other night while I was uh, with Naomi, I had Flow Racing on my computer watching the live feed, but I had Race Monitor on my phone so I could watch Jonathan's uh, lap times every lap as they compared to other people in the field and how he was saving tires and all that, and he could go when he wanted to go. Mm-hmm. He could, he could, he yeah. could. He had the speed, but so I mean, I, I feel good about where we are, what we're doing. We got a great driver. Uh, he's got a lot of experience, and we just need some good fortune and great equipment. And, and, and we're know. waiting here to test, and we still don't see Phil Stefanelli. Yeah, so I'm gonna have to call. He our told guy. me to be here at one. Yeah. At first, it was supposed to be eleven. Then it was one. You're his boss, three. so I want to see how you handle. You're this. the boss. I'm not the boss. You're I the boss. I want to see how he how you handle this when yeah, he gets here. Have a talking. I think you ought to give him a piece of your mind. Well, we we actually got most of this podcast done. Yeah. Uh, we're going to come back here in a minute. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back with the Rocket Man. The Rocket Man is here on leaning right and turning left with Sadler and the Senator. Brought to you by Pacematic. Right. We'll be back. We'll take a short break. We'll get some testing done. And we'll come back with one more segment on today's episode. We'll be right back. Time to tell you about something I'm super passionate about protecting your family. Yes, this is a life insurance ad for goliathlife.com. But to me, this is really about peace of mind. Think about insurance for a second. We all get medical and auto insurance, yet we never even know if we're going to have a need for it. Let me let you in on a little secret. You need life insurance. We're all going to die. Now, as you let that reality sink in, think about what would happen if your family stopped having your income tomorrow. If you don't have a plan for that, you need to visit goliathlife.com. And I mean right now. And just personally, I've lost two friends in their 40s this past year and a half, and I don't even want to think about what their families would be going through had they not had life insurance. If you don't have it, get it. Protect your family. And I suggest you go to goliathlife.com because they've made the process of getting affordable life insurance 
super easy. Goliath Life streamlines the life insurance process by allowing you to get quotes for more than 20 carriers within minutes, and you'll pick your terms and payments to fit your budget. You pick your price, you start the online application immediately, and even schedule the medical exam to come to you. And I've done it. They sent someone to my office. I skipped the phone calls, the paperwork, and the crazy invasive conversations. Goliath Life makes buying life insurance simple. There's no hidden fees, no upsells, no hassle. Hell, not even a phone call. Goliath Life is life insurance in your hands on your time. Get multiple quick quotes right now from the comfort of your own home and begin your application in a few easy clicks right now at GoliathLife.com. Hey, this is Bill Stanley, Hermes Adler sidekick on this podcast. But when I'm not in Richmond at the Capitol or doing this podcast, my real job for the past 27 years is as a trial attorney with the Stanley Law Group. Here at the Stanley Law Group, we represent our clients in every courthouse in the Commonwealth. No problem is too small for us to solve. No case is too big for us to win. Whether it's criminal charges, traffic offenses, civil disputes, litigation matters of any sort, we handle it all. We make sure we treat every client like family because they are to us. Your problem is our problem. Your success is our success because we hate to lose more than we love to win. And believe me, we win a lot. Don't believe me? Go ask Hermie. I'm his favorite lawyer. Give us a call at 540-721-6028 and let us help you. Or visit our website at www.vastanleylawgroup.com. At the Stanley Law Group, we'll make sure that we are the lawyers that you swear by and not at. And we're back. It's Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator Powered by Pacematic. We are on site at the famed Caraway Speedway, Ashboro, North Carolina as we prepare for a big weekend of racing, Bill, the Sadler-Stanley open-wheel modified team. Of course, Saturday night, the Smart Modified Tour goes back to the track that really Elliot and I both started our racing careers at the South Boston Speedway. But first, on Friday night, Sadler-Stanley Racing making its debut Mm. in the NASCAR Wheeling Modified Tour Friday night at the Richmond Raceway. And when you're looking for a driver uh, to fill the seat in a brand new car and our first time in that series at that kind of a platform on that track. And they're not named Sadler, then what do you do? You go to the best guy that you can find. (laughs) That that you can find. That is crazy enough (laughs) to jump in a car. And let's just be honest. We're at Caraway trying to test, and we're all here, and the car's not even here yet. (laughs) Good old Phil Stefanelli, Mr. Excitement. Yeah. Late again. But we have, I'm so excited uh, to um, have Ryan Newman join us on the, the, Rocket on the show. Yep. The Rocket and Man. Proud to have him wheel our open wheel modified on Friday night. Ryan, it's been a, a while since I've seen you. I spent probably 20 years of my life seeing you every weekend. <laughs> and uh, and we, we've been kind of doing our own things. But uh, good to see you back and, and, and welcome to uh, welcome to the podcast. We appreciate you joining us. No, it's uh, good to be a part of it. There is no doubt that you have talked more about me than you have talked to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but we do have a lot. And of you things still to have come. the coke. Yeah, I still, I've yeah. never done an interview with you, whether it be on this podcast or on Fox Sports or back in the Speed Channel days. All right. of it, you walk out the hauler with the with the coke. Right. I mean. So first question. It tastes good. How does that work? Well, how does that work? It's an amazing program that they have mm-hmm. uh, with the Coca-Cola Racing family. With the, I'm sure this is a side note for for yeah. your program, but um, um, to to um, it it's all done through our charities. Mm-hmm. So it's a great way for them to advertise 
through our charities, and then they write our charities a check based on how well we perform. So they've got a they've got a, a setup where they've got got chug points, mm-hmm. and depending on what um, outlet you use, there's a scoreboard basically, and and um, it's just um, it's just a great opportunity for us to do good things, have a coke in our hand, which for me I personally enjoy it. Some mm-hmm. drivers don't always enjoy it, but it's a, a part of life, right? And um, but I I, um, I enjoy their products and um, live that life and. Um, you know the, the the flip side of it is it's amazing part that they do that um, it's it's easy for them to write a check to a five hundred one c three and and feel like they're making a huge difference and they're making a huge difference about what we love. It doesn't have to be our charity; it could be our charity of choice, and it's what our what we're passionate about. So for for um, you know we're always thankful for for having a coke in our hand and the opportunity to get what is a free drink, but in the end, um, it's a lifestyle for me and does great things for our charity and. I know a little bit about that because my brother, Elliot, was in the Coke family of drivers for a long time. And when I'd be either doing an interview or with him on the bus when he was always doing one, that was the number one priority of Will, the bus driver, was yep. get the co- get the Coca-Cola out and ready uh, to go. So we want to talk about, obviously, our race together on Friday night at Richmond. You've, had, you've got uh, some experience in open-wheel modified racing. Talk about that as well. But start today, and I want to go backwards a little bit. So, uh, And Senator Stanley told you before we started uh, communicating uh, or talking on this podcast, Bill is a lifelong race fan, and he told you, and I know he meant it, that, and I've heard this about, about my brother and other people too that have, have uh, gotten out of the seat full-time for one reason or the other. He misses – seeing you on the racetrack on Sundays. Uh, and I know he means that. But tell us, I do. and our I mean, viewers. He was, he was in it every time. Yeah. You, were, you were Mr. 110%. Yeah. You were the yeah. one you wanted and, to watch for. And for quite a, a long time. I yeah. mean, I did right. it for 20-plus years. And, I, you know, I there's parts of me that that definitely miss it. Um, and, I, and I miss more so the, the – like we were talking earlier, the good old days yep. of, uh, you know, winning polls, winning races, running top five, no question. Like you were just going to be there. Like mm-hmm. you didn't even have to think about how you're going to have a good day. It just happened. And, um, you know, the last few years of my career was, you know, significant challenges on race day and we didn't qualify anymore, but, you know, ultimately just having speed in the race car and, I um you know I I miss lots of it. There's parts of it that I don't miss for sure. But um, at the same time, I enjoy the other things that I've missed uh, probably more so than I ever thought I would. Time with my family, time at home, uh, getting to enjoy the outdoors. Um, you know, I, I have more time, but there's still the same amount of time, and I still fill the clock. What do you uh, What do you What's occupying your time these days? My daughter, my oldest daughter, Brooklyn. Um, she's 11 now. She's uh, doing some outlaw kart racing. So this past weekend was her. I guess it would be her fourth and fifth outing with Outlaw Carts. Um, so she's a beginner box stock now. She made the A-Mains both nights, one at Millbridge and one at Mountain Creek. Um, had had some good runs. Um, and just watching her learn, I mean, she's watched me for years. Uh, but ultimately, and I think you know this, it's different when you get behind the wheel. You can you can try to guide somebody all you want or watch have somebody watch you all you want. And, and in the end, uh, doing it's something totally different. So um, being a part of that is, is really an amazing um, feeling inside of me um and and i've been i've been um surprisingly not nervous yeah right as as my daughter's out there like i haven't gotten nervous i've gotten excited um which i don't know what that tells you like i'm not i'm trying to figure did out what that to, actually did you have means. to push her or she did, did... no she she just start you just started up and i mean no push her to, to drive to start, no, to no not yeah, at yeah, all yeah. not at all i asked her so she i got three daughters and none of this <laughs> been cheer and a lot of wonderful things baseball softball but 
yeah, I'm in the go-kart business and I've tried to get all of them to ride go-karts and they go ride and have fun, but no desire to compete in racing. Yeah. And that's, and that's, um, I, I wouldn't say it surprised me. Obviously the genes are there, but mm-hmm. ultimately she, she tried dance. She tried gymnastics. She tried soccer. She tried a lot of things that, um, just didn't work out. They weren't fun for her. Um, now she's doing some horseback riding. So even after the race on Friday, we'll, um, drive for a couple hours to a horse show that she's starting at Saturday morning and we'll, and we'll do that. Uh, but ultimately, um, those are the things that she enjoys right now. And, she drove my quarter midget years and years ago at my parents' parking lot down in, in uh, right outside of Daytona Beach in Florida. So she's got experience, and I think she's probably thought about it more than I thought she's thought about it. Mm-hmm. But in the end, um, she's been really excited about competing and learning, and she does a really good job, which, again, surprises me because she's my daughter, uh, does a really good job of <laughs> listening uh, and talking. You know, And when I talk to her about something of what to do, um, more often than not, she'll remember and I'll forget. Like I'll give you an example. Like I told her when we were practicing at Millbridge one night, I said, I want you to go out there and just practice just stabbing the brakes. And she's like, why would you want me to do that? I said, because when there's a crash in front of you, you still got to steer it while you're trying to stop. Mm-hmm. And I said, it's just rear brakes. So try to figure out how you can steer it, stop and miss the crash. And, um, and, and the next run, she's out there, she does her three or four laps and she's getting ready to come in and I see her stab the brakes. I'm like, what's she doing? And I'm like, oh. She remembered. Yeah. Daddy forgot, but yeah. she remembered. So just things like that that um, really, really excite me. Uh, it, and it's, it shouldn't be surprising that when your daughter slams on the brakes at a practice session that it surprises you. But just the, the focus and the, the fact of listening and wanting to do better and doing the right things, or at least what I think are the right things as I guide her. I know we talk about missing racing and all that, but I know you're happy to be at an age and have your health and the resources and things you need to – to spend those kind of moments and things with your kids. It's got to be nothing like it. Yeah, and, and, and um, they're at that, um, you know, both of them being 9 and 11, are at a great age uh, to uh, just enjoy uh, that ex- that those levels of excitement and the things that they do. And um, I've never met, and I think you, you can attest to this, I've never met anybody that said, man, I spent too much time with my kids when they were younger. Yeah. You just never hear it because I, I look, it doesn't I exist. It's if not possible. One, I, I've tried to... It's hard to say you regret, but I'm I'm trying to make up for lost time right. every day, doing everything I can now um, to for the sacrifices we all made as parents. When you choose to be in racing and and and, the, and right. that the circus we called it that you know <laughs> went along with that, but you know it makes me appreciate a lot more now uh, the uh, the times that I do get to spend uh, with my kids. You know, Bill and I were talking earlier uh, about things to ask you and this and that and the other. First thing I thought about. Was I don't remember the year, but I remember, of course, back in your heyday in the prime, I think your career at 51 poles, it was like, it was a, a period of time there when we would just kind of joke, like, who's qualifying second? Because yeah. you were going to be the guy. But I remember going to Bristol to do TV. I was doing the pre-race show, the race day and all the stuff and the talk all week long about the racetrack and the cars and maybe the tires and the weather and all that was, is there anybody going to run a 14 second? qualifying lap at bristol yeah and of course you did it right so uh tell us remind me or tell us about that week and why why there was all of a sudden so much talk about a 14 second lap and which you remember from that lap and did you hold your breath the whole time no i i I don't know about the holding my breath part of it i'm sure i did for at least a lap of it um but 
I had it's, it's funny you said this and brought this up because I had a friend last week that sent me a text, uh, which was a YouTube video of all of Ryan Newman's fifty-one cup holes. Mm-hmm. So I like I I. I saw I, I downloaded it and I started watching it and I'm like I can't do this right now. So I watched it later and then I was like it just gives you goosebumps, right? Cuz it's like going back in time and recalling all those great moments and I watched and I'm like remember and then I I sent it to Don Miller who was the president of Penske Racing, which is still a great friend and, and my old crew chief Matt Borland and and we were watching through and and um and, and next thing I know, I'm getting texts back from a man like you, you that those was this is amazing. Thanks for sending it to me all, all those types of things. And I to answer your question on the Bristol deal, I think I think for so long we were so close to breaking it mm-hmm. and we all kind of knew that technology was getting better. Guys were getting faster. And I think it was like on the we we're right there. I mean, like we've been 15 teen to oh whatever mm-hmm. for a long time. And then I went off and clipped off that 1490. And it's um, you know, it, we 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 nailed it. I mean, I Borland nailed it on the setup. The tires were right, everything was right. And Did you I know hit the mark now, just I, I, I can't remember because you could we you didn't look practice, at the scoreboard. We didn't practice down there. Um we didn't practice in that I think we were fifteen oh something in practice. Mm-hmm. And then when I ran at fifteen ninety when the track was cooler and cleaner and everything else, mm-hmm. like it was it, it was potential, but I knew I nailed the lap because I was I was doing some stuff down in three and four and hooking the apron mm-hmm. and making making grip that was uh, marginal, right? So if you miss it just a little bit, you're gonna you're gonna get loose or tight. Mm-hmm. But if you hook it just right, you're gonna nail it. And I nailed it. And um you know, it was it was um it was then that I think that um and you can even if you pull the YouTube video up, you can watch it and it says I think it was uh, DW said something and then I think it was Larry Mack that said I I, I rocketed off a turn two and I think that's where the Rocket Man name kinda kinda mm-hmm. kicked in. Did you know I know you said you nailed the lap, but did you know when you was it first was it first lap or it was first lap. First yeah. lap. Yeah. Did you know when you Oh yeah, I knew it was a good one. Yeah. I didn't know if anybody was gonna go faster, but I knew it was a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I um, and then if you if you watch later in the video, I was and I was I had an amazing record and tied Buddy Baker at Atlanta. I'm pretty sure it was either Atlanta. I think it was Charlotte. I had a lot of pulls at Charlotte too. Um, I get confused sometimes when it comes to this because I get so excited. But I uh, I came off a of turn four, and I called it out. It was it was it was probably it was probably pull number forty five out of the fifty one or whatever. I called it out. I said I got him because <laughs> <laughs> we were one of the last cars to qualify. And what, I knew who who was quick was going to be the competitors. So. What uh, it's hard to explain. I, I I never won a single pole in the Cup Series, um, but some of the times that I qualified twenty fifth was some of the best driving I ever did in some of the cars <laughs> that I had. But where did you enjoy qualifying? It, like Atlanta at night to me was a yeah. breathtaker. Oh yeah, Bristol was always there. Charlotte, you know, yeah. It, some of the tracks feel like you're running three hundred. Some of them, not so much. But where, did you have a place that you enjoyed? The all quality? of them. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, ultimately all of them. Um, you know, and they were different for different reasons. Mm-hmm. You're you're right about Atlanta. Atlanta, when it cooled off at night, was amazing. Darlington was amazing. It's just things coming at you. The, the the lines in the track yeah, the, hash, the hash marks the became hash marks solid. were solid white lines, you know. <laughs> and then uh, Charlotte was always a lot of fun, just mm-hmm. because you got the bump, the little humpy bump down in mm-hmm. the middle of one and two that you hit, had to hit just right. And um, you know, Phoenix was a lot of fun. Um, at one point, when they took the bridge down, they paved that part of the racetrack, so it was like hitting the sticky spot mm-hmm. uh, coming off turn four. So if you you could be sliding, um, which was you know 
to me, it's still turn four. It's turn two now. Yeah. Um, you could be sliding, and it was going to catch you. So it didn't matter what was sliding; it was going to catch you, and you could, you know, you could, you could still save it. So you might as well get all the speed you could before you got there. I imagine in those days you probably were not that fond of qualifying at Daytona and Talladega because it no, t- took yeah. your edge away. I, st- I and I, and to this day, I don't know that I have ever gotten a pole at Daytona or Talladega, mm-hmm. and it doesn't bother me. Because it wasn't me. Yeah, I mean, like right. I, I get the fact that it's a team sport and everything else, but mm-hmm. I don't know that there was ever anything I could have done to win the pull at one of those races. And you mentioned Matt Bullen. You guys, and we talked earlier today about the Smart Modified Tour race at South Boston on Saturday night. They're honoring the legendary Ray Hendrick, who you may or may not have know, mm-hmm. know a little bit 11, about Ray. 11 car, right? Flying 11. Yep. I've got the slot car. Yeah, legendary, <laughs> legendary, you know, around Virginia. Um, all of down the East Coast for that matter, but they're honoring him at the race on Saturday night at South Boston. And he had a guy named Clayton Mitchell who people viewed at that time of being ahead of his time. This was, you know, 60s, 70s, mid to late 70s, kind of ahead, ahead of his time. And Jack Tant built engines for, for that car back in those days. But when you talk about Matt Boylan, it just seemed like you guys, I don't know whether it y'all just had something that y'all had together, just y'all two, or, but, so I'll ask you, what, did he just have what you needed in the car to make you comfortable to give you that speed back in the day, or were y'all a little bit ahead of the game as a whole as far as the parts and pieces that y'all had on y'all's cars? Yeah, I'd say it was a little bit of everything. Um, if If you look back at the history, you know, the, the Penske engine program was stout. I mean, mm-hmm. that was back in the day when they were pulling the engines apart because we were up on everybody on the chassis dyno and mm-hmm. any kind of dyno and saying, here, this is what they're doing. Y'all need to catch up. This is the fairest we can make it for you. Here's the demonstration. And um, so the engines were good. You know, the the, the cars, um, in my opinion, I'd say if looking back at it, we probably could have been better. We went through a lot of transitions. We went from Ford to Dodge, mm-hmm. and then Dodge went from one intrepid uh, body to a Charger body. So we we um, we had a lot of transition in there when other teams didn't. Uh, you know, if you look back, let's just say compared to the maybe the '29 car when Harvick was it. You know, he started as a Chevrolet and stayed a Chevrolet for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't have that. We had a bunch of transitions, and we had strengths with strengths with those transitions, but we also had weaknesses with those transitions. And um, you know, ultimately. Ultimately, it was teamwork. It was Moreland, myself, you know, the shot guy, the crew guys that, um, you know, everybody was doing the right thing and getting um, and we were getting results from it. And, um, you know, we 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 also spent a lot of time on qualifying. Like if you remember back in the day, then a lot of guys would just work on race trim and they'd mm-hmm. tape their car up and take a stab at it for qualifying. But we, we knew that starting up front was going to be really important, yeah. really important, mm-hmm. you know, for pit selection, number one. And, and um, you know, just in general, the race, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, and I've always said uh, and, and you've probably entered me several times. Inter- interviewed me several times saying it that uh, Loudon was the birthplace of track position. We mm-hmm. never talked about it. We just went racing. Mm-hmm. But when you got to Loudon, you had to really think about, man, if we start up front, we can stay up front, even though our car is not as good as the guys behind us. And, um, you know, that was um, that was just a part of it that, um, you know, we we focused on being really good on Fridays, maybe gave up a little bit for the race at certain times. But, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. You um, started with Roger Penske. I, I know you mentioned Don Miller as well. I don't, don't know what the relationship is or was with Roger Penske, but what he's accomplished racing and other businesses. Otherwise, I'm just uh, curious what you're, what you learned from him, maybe if anything at the time about not only racing, but 
business and teamwork and, and all. He just seems to be able to have to be a guy that most things he's involved in are successful. Yeah, Rod, Roger's an amazing guy, and I'm not involved in the business world like some other people are, but I've never seen anybody in my life that could remember people better than Roger Penske. And if you're going to be in business or the business of making money with other people to know those people and understand them and, and just remembering the names like he does is, is, is amazing. Um, so I, that, that's the one thing that I would say that really stands out to me about Roger. He's been successful in so many things. Motorsports is his passion. It's his hobby. It's, it's what he loves to do on the weekends. Right. But, um, um, I was told that, uh, I think it was the IndyCar race, right? It was his 600th win as a mm -hmm. car owner. Yeah. And I texted a buddy of mine who thinks, you know, the world of, of Roger Penske. And I said, what do you think? What do you think he had investment-wise if you had to put a, a, a number on each win of those 600? And his response was seven figures. I mean, if you think about it, that's how passionate this guy is mm -hmm. about racing. He puts so much money and so much effort into it. And this won't mean anything to anybody else other than me but i interviewed him probably 15 20 times over the years but even when i saw him at a restaurant or just walking through the pit or anywhere he always looked me in the eye and spoke to me like mm -hmm. i was like you were supposed human. to be there just like right. he was right <laughs> I, you know and i'm I, I guess i shouldn't be you know rick hendrick has that same quality as well yep. in, in a lot of things rick I text Rick now, and he'll text me back within twenty minutes. Yep. You know, and 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 but Roger didn't he? And look, he stopped. He would stop, and I'm sure he had places to go, people to see, he, things to do. But and not just me, but other people, even fans. He always treated everybody like if you're gonna give me your time, I'm gonna give you some of my time. And I always, among other things, respected that from him. Yeah, he he will, he would always find a way. I think I'm saying the same thing. He would always find a way to respect you without disrespecting somebody else. Right. And so many people don't know how to do that. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but he 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 could nail it every time. Like you could be sitting there at the table with him, and he'd stop, and you'd feel like you were part of his conversation. Like, hey, this is so and so, and he'd make you part of it. Like he's just a, a good, genuine person. Got some more questions, but Bill, you want to slide in there? No, I'm just riding around the back watching you two. I'm just staring at him like, you know, like some stalker, I guess. But, you know, it, it seems to me you're saying never got a pole maybe as long as you can remember Talladega, Daytona, but you had some of the most spectacular crashes. Was there a correlation? I <laughs> Those mean, weren't my fault. <laughs> no, I know. No, and you were riding on the hood of somebody, you know, yeah. a couple times. Yeah. But, but, I mean, I guess what I'm, why I'm saying that is we had Elliot on, and Elliot is really involved with iRacing. And what Elliot said was, well, the tracks that I was really good at in terms of qualifying or running, I still run great at the sim. The tracks that I'm not good at, I'm not good on the simulator. And it's something, as he said, internally in him, that I, either by experience or just by feel, he never felt like he was going to conquer those certain tracks or maybe had bad luck at those tracks. That When I look at your incredible career, those things kind of stick out to me as well as the great wins that you had. And then to hear you say, you know, well, I, I never, as fast as you were, as many poles as you've gotten, you never got one at Talladega, never got one at Daytona. Yeah, that's, but, but every other place we went to, you had to lift. <laughs> so you had to drive the car. And that, that to me, I think is a lift or not lift, lift or, not or lift. decide when you were going to lift, right. or if it was just a half, three quarter lift 
and just tapping the brake or whatever. And a lot of right. different. You, you, with all due respect, you had to drive the car to other racetracks. Whereas Daytona and Talladega, I literally could pull somebody off the street and say, hey, listen, you need to do this, this, and this. And they could be within a tenth of what I just ran. Really? Yes. And you won the but, Daytona But, but the difference is in the race, you can't pull that person off the street and expect the same conversation to have the same results. Hmm. But driving the car, just purely driving the car at 200 miles an hour is not a big challenge. I've always said that in racing, in life in general, but in racing, you feel acceleration and deceleration. You don't feel speed. So, And I equate it to, and try to put it in layman's terms, to other people. He's talking like, like, kind of like an engineer. When, mm -hmm. you, when you fly an airplane, when, you, when, you're in a pass, when you're a passenger in an airplane and you take off and land, that's when you feel it. When you're flying and cruising at 450 or 600 miles an hour, whatever it is, you don't feel it until you hit something, some dirty air, turbulence, right? So you, you, what you feel is acceleration and deceleration. Going 210 miles an hour is not that big a deal until something bad happens, a crash, tire blows, whatever. But um, how you accelerate and decelerate is what, what really makes it. And that, to answer your question, that's what you have to do at, when you qualify at Martinsville, when you qualify at Phoenix and some of the short tracks are more powerful when it comes to driving skills than when you just lift at Charlotte or you barely burp it at Atlanta. Um, you know, then then it's, it's just different. It's just a different set of skills. So beside, beside driving the 39 Sadler-Stanley Racing – Open wheel modified at Richmond this Friday in the Wheeling Series. What in your mind is the most spectacular moment, something that you'll cherish in your racing career? Ooh, that's a good one. That's a really good one. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> you got you got a good, got one, a good in, one in man. Um so there's multiple ones. Obviously the Daytona five hundred, the Brickyard four hundred, those are all big special moments. But for me, um I was asked a similar question to that not too long ago. And um I feel that when I and, – and I've never been one to put pressure on myself, but I feel like there were times that I did put pressure on myself, and then therefore they made the races that much more special. And I was able to win two big races in my eyes on Father's Day. And if it wasn't for my dad, I wouldn't be here talking to you, driving You got one of the coolest dads ever. <laughs> so I, he would appreciate you saying that. Um, and and you, I think uh, he would owe you – 20 bucks maybe something but like you but i'm saying <laughs> and i mean this respect, when at the racetrack when i saw you i saw your dad right he was he, and and that's what i'm saying he was and, with that, you. and that's why to answer bill's question that's why it was so special was when i won the, the 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 michigan race on father's day weekend that was really special when i won um a midget race um, when I won the cup race, as I say, the midget race, cup race, Father's Day weekend at Michigan, that was special. The midget race at Salem in 1999, I believe it was, um, it was Father's Day. Um, and my dad and I got into a little fight, just a, you know, a, a, a father-son disagreement about how hot he got the oil before I qualified because I felt like I should have been on the pole and <laughs> I didn't get the pole. Mm -hmm. And I felt like it was his fault because the motor bogged down because oil was cold, and um, he obviously disagreed, and um, and I'm not sure if he did it on purpose because he always said I was a better driver mad than I was when I wasn't mad, um, but I literally went out and um, lapped up to ninth if I remember right. I think it was I don't remember if it was green to checker, but I lapped up to ninth on a half mile racetrack, 
And I walked, um, after I got out of the car, I grabbed a trophy, walked over to him, and I said, here, happy Father's Day. And that, that to me, I think, just says how much I appreciate him uh, and my family for that matter and my feelings about racing because if it wasn't if it wasn't for him mostly my mother included but him mostly i wouldn't have got to do what i have loved to do for the last you 40 know, and, years and bill being at the racetrack for the 20 plus years i was different people there were different family dynamics for different drivers some drivers always had their whole family there some drivers never had family there some dads were there but kind of away from things but i mean your dad I mean, huge fan of yours too, but I mean, always, you know, had that excitement. He was I mean, always a race fan, and it was just a bonus when his son got to race. Yeah, I mean, I mean he like, was. We would literally sit in the grandstands, and he'd be the one if you had to figure out which night you were going to swap because he's pound you in the leg so hard <laughs> that you had to swap to the next the next night so he could hit you in the other leg because he's just that excited about when somebody making a pass, yeah. just, just bumping you, just just um, you know loving it, and um, and. Um, now I see that in my daughters, like literally mostly my oldest daughter because she enjoys the racing. But I mean, she's, she's, uh, I see it in her eyes and in the, the fire internally. So it, um, it's making it more special for me to be a part of her program. You know, and it's great to see from the other side when you're now the father, because I think we've talked about this a lot on this podcast. We've talked about it a lot in private of the influence that our fathers have had in our lives. To hear that story with you uh, just goes along to prove also the point that what they leave us with. My father died a month after I graduated from college. I was 21 years old. I've missed him every day, Mm -hmm. but I still hear him in my ear. I still know what I'm doing. And now as a parent, I get to feel what he felt. And I appreciate it more. And in the same way, golly, I just wasn't, I I wish I just wasn't such a jerk as a kid on some occasions, but that's the (laughs) legacy. I'm sure he expected it, but (laughs) I get your point. (laughs) But, but But it really is the difference maker because that's the legacy you pass down from your father to your children. Right. And they'll pass to their children. So it's just such a, a gift to be, to have a good father. And then from that to become a good father. I want to talk about the modified race in a second, but Bill asked you about big race wins and things that, you remember the most or or cherish the most. So I'll ask the other side of it. Any, now that you're, you've not said you'll never race another cup car again. So you could, yeah, no, people expected me to announce a retirement and I'm like, I'm not retiring. Like I'm still going to go drive and race. I don't have a full-time cup deal and that's fine. But ultimately, I mean, you never know when something could happen. I mean, but as you sit here today and look back on your career uh, as a whole and in NASCAR, any regrets? No regrets. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's millions of things that I would have done different to be better mm-hmm. because I learned as I went. But I don't know that I can – I don't even know where I would start with re- regrets. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, regret overdriving the car and crashing while I was leading to Charlotte? Yeah, but, I mean, that's just an accident. That's mm-hmm. not a regret in my mm-hmm. eyes. I mean, yeah, there's hey, t- things t- t- that t- I could have done better. Because this is a specific moment at a specific race, and I guess you can probably still, to this day, put yourself back in the seat at that point of the racetrack. And so, oh yeah, give, give us the, the the what happened. Yeah. Oh, so I was leading the Coke Six Hundred. Um, I think it was a one before I was a rookie, and um, I I had won. You good? <laughs> yeah. No, I was getting static. Ryan Newman I, just had the chat experience, didn't yeah. he? I was getting static, and I seen you. Yeah. It's That's all good. So I was leading the Coke 600, and um, I think 11 laps in, if I remember right, 
I was just trying to cowboy the car and was loose and tried to get across the bump and lost it and backed it into the fence. Mm -hmm. And we had such a fast race car. We had won the pole, out-qualified Jeff Gordon. This is, I think, my second or third cup start. Mm -hmm. Borland and I were having this discussion last week after I sent that text because we were – I know Phoenix was my first start. I'm pretty sure he thinks Vegas was my second start. And then my third start or my second start – I think it was my second start was – was the Coke 600 when I won the pole? Either way, I um I just I just overdrove it. Like I just I should have just backed it off. Uh, and in the end, you know, he was a rookie too and didn't know how much we should have tightened the car up. And we ended happy hour amazingly fast and mm-hmm. good. But it was at night. The next you know the next day is the Coke 600. It starts in the heat of the day. We should have tightened the car up, but we didn't uh, because we were so good. Call it overconfident, call it lack of experience, whatever you want to call it. Um, we were loose, and I overdrove it. He left it loose. We crashed. I crashed. And um, is that a regret? I don't. Even, I don't classify it as a regret. I classify it as a learning mistake. The race at the uh, crash at Daytona last year. Um, I was going to say which one. <laughs> <laughs> the one that got all the attention. Yeah, the one. Yeah, the one that got all the attention. Yep. Just tell us what you can about the race. Coming off turn four, when it happened, you know, I know you've done interview after interview after yeah. interview all over. You got mainstream coverage with all that, and and I'm just curious. Well, what, the what, iconic what, photo of him walking out of the hospital with my your daughters, daughters. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that yeah, that's amazing. the that's the touching part for me. To answer your first question, it's really simple. I don't remember any of it. None of it. None of it. The but, race itself or the whole day. The uh, call it the whole day with the exception of having shrimp for lunch at my parents' house. Mm-hmm. So my parents live about 20 minutes from the racetrack. It was obviously rain delayed. Uh, we stayed an extra day, got up, went over to my parents' house, had some lunch, and then the race, I forget what time it started. In, in, in the end, uh, I don't remember anything about the start of the race. I don't remember anything during the race. Couldn't tell you who crashed, what lap, anything happened when we pitted who pushed me, who, who I pushed, nothing. I mean, nothing. Could not remember anything until I walked out of the hospital. Wow. Now, when I was in the hospital, they had me medicated so that I was, um, call it like, call it like a drug induced coma. Only I wasn't a drug induced so coma. They had me knocked out. No, it wasn't even that. They just, if I got, if I got to be being too close to me, they'd knock me back out because they didn't want any activity in my brain, mm-hmm. which uh, is understandable because they didn't know that any, kind of answers on what was damaged mm-hmm. um in the end i mean i was probably damaged before yeah. <laughs> i mean people would argue that yeah. uh but but um there was no side effects no nothing that proved anything happened other than um you know at some point i was knocked out um and i had somebody in the car with me um I really i don't there's nothing there's nothing else that stands out about that day i mean like i don't know other than I remember I, I talked to President Trump briefly before I walked out. I couldn't remember the entire conversation. All I remember is um, he... That's right. He was there. He was there for the He was there on race. Sunday. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember that now. Yeah. When it was... I can't remember if it started or was supposed to I think to it ran a few laps. Yeah. Yeah, because um, yeah, we, we followed him around in the parade car. That's right. Pa- that, that, the that, par- parade of the... Of the um, President's what, is that, what do they call that limo he, they had? The limo one? <laughs> the beast. The beast, yeah. yeah. The beast, yeah. We followed him around in that, and I think we came right down Pit Road, if I remember mm-hmm. right. And um, I got the phone call, whatever it was, a couple days later, and um, that was just before I walked out of the hospital. So, so I mean, President Trump called you? President Trump, we connected, mm-hmm. and uh, 
<laughs> I was, I don't remember if I was medicated or if it was just me being silly, but uh, I answered, I answered, said, what's going on, Donnie? <laughs> and, oh, Donnie. Uh, and the funny didn't part, get that a lot. The funny part was um, the entire time we did the interview, he kept calling me Randy, mm -hmm. which I've been called Randy because of Randy Newman yeah. several times, but he never got the nudge from whoever was sitting next to him on the phone call, which, you know, somebody's there. Hello, uh, Randy, it's me, yeah. Donna Chump. Yeah. What's up, Donnie? Yeah. <laughs> Nothing, Randy. How you doing? <laughs> Can yeah. imagine that phone call. Yeah, it was it was pretty good. But in the end, I didn't get to say a whole lot, and I was fine with that. But um, um, I do um, I do say that when, um, when I came out of the hospital, had my daughters in my hands, um, that that's when my light switch turned back on, and I felt like I became – me again, mm -hmm. uh, because ultimately they, they either had a combination of, like, I don't remember anybody that was in the hospital that came to visit me, none. And I had people that came from Maryland, uh, Georgia, and just different friends that came down to visit. And it was not, it was not a good time to come visit somebody. If you remember, that was right prior to all the COVID stuff. Mm -hmm. But, um, in the end, um, don't recall any of those people, didn't recall any of the doctors, went back to the hospital um, later that year when I was racing for the July race and didn't recollect any of the faces that I was with. Like, nothing came back. There was nothing to come back. Like, that chapter was deleted from my brain. Did you ever, and I think I know the answer to this, but after the first Daytona, did, did quitting then ever cross your mind? No. No. I figured it didn't. No, I. But when you I see normal people, people yeah. when you see normal people and go right. back to the hospital six months later, there were probably people either saying or thinking, "You got to be a nut yeah. to be back out there again." Well, I mean, we're nuts in the first place, and you know yeah. that. But yeah. we can't explain that in 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 a lot of normal people terms mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, because of what we do. I mean, right. like some people won't won't even think about going over the speed limit, and here mm -hmm. we are. Like, what? I mean, that's just a suggestion, right? With 40 other <laughs> Chad crazies. Chad drives like a 75-year-old woman. But that was <laughs> an unbelievable time, unbelievable story. Glad you're back and, and um, got to get back on track and continue. Yeah, I never, to answer your question, I never thought about quitting. I had, yeah. you know, and, and, and I had people that, um, you know, tried to not push me but just question it. I'm like, no, why? Like, but I really feel like that was God's way of saying, if you can't remember it, like, and that's why that's why God deleted it, right? Uh, is, yeah. is if you can't remember it, then why would you want to quit? Like, mm -hmm. it just doesn't exist. So just go do what you love. Like, that's the that's His way of protecting your passion. So um, all this, I know you think you probably had already reached the pinnacle of your career before coming to Caraway to shake down the <laughs> Sadler Stanley Racing Penske Schminsky uh, open wheel <laughs> Sadler Stan modified, but. Ryan, to, to, to be honest, we're we're thrilled, tickled, you know that that um, I know this is something you have some experience driving these cars and love to race them, and everybody I talked to before you and I connected on this when I was checking around because that's kind of been our thing. We wanted to put an open wheel modified on the track, have a full time guy running for a championship, and build a couple other new cars and put some people in there, legends, people that have racing experience, people know, because Bill has a passion for trying to revitalize to the point that we can short track racing, grassroots short track racing all over the mid-Atlantic region, but especially in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And so, in fact, this Thursday, I wrote a piece of legislation, which was to recognize the NASCAR stock car heritage trail through the Commonwealth of Virginia to really 
bring attention to these short tracks in our rural areas because that's where they mostly are, just like we're here in the middle of nowhere at the Caraway. And, uh, and we're rolling that out. Virginia Tourism is rolling that out. That's your buddy, Virginia Tourism, mm-hmm. uh, on Thursday, which is kind of great timing now that you're, you're coming into the Commonwealth of Virginia riding around Richmond International Raceway. That's exciting. Uh, we're thrilled. I mean, you know, when we were talking about putting legends in the car, Army calls me up and I said, well, who are you thinking? And he said, Randy Newman. And uh, I, I said, the guy's a singer. I don't get it. Oh, and, so, and so we're just, just like he says, we're so thrilled to have you in it. I think all the fans are going to come out there on Friday night are going to be thrilled to see it, those that are watching on TV. And, and really what we hope is if you want to sit in it, you want to run it and win it, uh, you have an open invitation, at least on my end, I'm sure, with uh, Hermie as well. Yeah, I told, him, to I told him regardless of what happens Friday or down the road, anytime he wants to, the seat, it's his. Um, it's just a just a great thing for us to have. And we're putting the 39-year-old number. Yeah, that was uh, that was nice, too. I, and, I, and I appreciate the opportunity to be a part of this. And, and, I, and I know that you um, both uh, love racing and want to do it right. And that's why I'm here, because I want to do it right and enjoy it just the same as much as you do. And I'm, I'm glad to be the guy that gets to guide it. And, um, you know, I... Um, the 39 part of it was is kind of special to me because that's that was I'd say my most successful number. I, I look I look back to the my midget days uh, silver crown car, which I won rookie of the year in a silver crown car in '96, in a 39 car. My midget uh, in '97 when I first won the night before the 500, my first big USAC midget race was a 39 car, and then obviously when I started at Stewart Haas, I went back to the 39 and won the Brickyard in that, and um, it's just to me it's it's become my number and, and, um, that's, that's it. I mean, it's just a, a part of, of, of my racing heritage. Better than the six. Much better. <laughs> I never won in the six. <laughs> and look, you ran this race at Richmond raceway. Was it last year or two years ago? Ran last year. Um, ran the, ran the Wheeling modified tour yes. race at Richmond last year. Finished third, you Finished said, third, but yes. it was like a three way finish. Yeah, we were, we were three wide for the, for, for second, if I remember right, I ended up third and we were catching priests. Um, but we had a really fast car and, and, and Richmond's one of, um, I've always said Richmond's my favorite short track, um, over Bristol and Martinsville for that matter. Um, Ultimately, my all-time favorite racetrack is Winchester, but we're not going there in a modified. Yeah. So, not yet. So, so um, I, you know, I look, I look forward to it. Um, like I said, Richmond's a lot of fun. Wheel and modified series is a lot of fun, and, and and look forward to it with the you know brand new team, brand new car with you guys. And not only are we having the thirty-nine on the car, and of course the Saddle Stanley Racing Team is powered by Pacematic. But one of the things I told Ryan and the Stanley Law Group and the Stanley Law Group, one of the things I told Ryan was. If you can, take this opportunity to reconnect with some of your partners, racing partners from the past, and invite them to come on and be a part of uh, the outing on Friday. So uh, what, are, what are people, fans, are going to see on the car um, on Friday night? If you ever get to see it today. Yeah. We're still waiting on <laughs> Phil Stefanelli. Yeah. He says 15 minutes. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, and this is this is a great opportunity for us. We've got a new partner that um, I've never had any experience with, and look look forward to it. Um, Simply Southern, uh, the clothing apparel company, uh, jumped on board to be a part of this too. So along with Pacematic, Simply Southern is going to be on a modified, and mm-hmm. and it's uh, geographically and like it makes sense, right? You're talking about the history of NASCAR and driving up through Virginia and Simply Southern and S and S and Sadler, and you know what I mean. Like it's just well, don't keep don't keep saying Sadler Stanley because he thinks it should be Stanley Sadler. 
and we'll just stick with the SNS, SNS, right now, and then right? let people. Just Since put, you guys are both here, yeah, when, just, we'll, just, when just, I'm around you, Hermie, it'll be Sadler that's Stanley, right. and then when I'm around you, when, I'm, when I'm gone, Stanley, it's Stanley. See, I think go. that's a great, yeah. he's a great partnership. I know this how to play the great. politics. <laughs> Me too. It's working out great. Well, do you notice Hermie's name is in the front of everything that we do? Sadler and the Senator, Sadler Stanley Racing. You know, that's. I think it's it's natural. He's the hook. Um, but sounds like he's sounds about. like he's the one typing the press release. That's, well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> there you go. At least this one. So simply Southern. Uh, what what do they tell tell us what they what they are and what they do? So simply Southern, uh, from the most part, has been a clothing line of. Uh, from what I can say, women's T-shirts, but they also have a men's clothing line as well. Um, and, and the ironic part of it all is if you pull up their website, simplysouthern.com, their um, their men's apparel has a black lab in it, which looks just like the new puppy that we got in Christmas. So um, it's uh, totally totally ironic, but but it's not, right? So um, really, I'm really excited to – honestly, haven't even met the people from Simply Southern. Just know that it's a great fit uh, for the Wheel and Modified Tour, this opportunity, and, and to um, you know get some get some people to the racetrack and raise some awareness. Bring them out to Smart, the Smart Tour Series. So, yeah. Yeah, that'll be great. Well, Next you, steps. Let's get through this test, let's, then let's, let's get through Let's Richmond. actually get the car <laughs> to the test? track to test first. <laughs> what test? And then we can go for that, Ryan. We've had fun, and, and, um, and we we – Hope to have some fun, you know, Friday night. But really and truly, we appreciate you. Uh, you can go drive whatever you want, whenever you want. I know, and for you to mm-hmm. put the trust and faith in us, and of course, I know you've been to the shop and seen Phil and those guys. Just a bunch of hard nosed racers that yeah. are doing it to have fun, and and we appreciate you, appreciate you being a part of it. No, I look forward to it. Like I said, and uh, we'll have some fun. Uh, well, hopefully, we have as much fun as we can have, and we know what that means. That's right. Standing in victory lane. There you go. Absolutely. Bill, take us home. Ladies and gentlemen, another great podcast brought to you by Pacematic. I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley, and I'm leaning really right. <laughs> and I'm former NASCAR driver Hermie Sadler, and this has been a fun one for me, a trip down uh, memory lane with Ryan Newman. We'll see everybody at the racetrack this weekend, Friday night at Richmond, Saturday night at South Boston Speedway, and we'll be back next Thursday with a whole new episode. I'm Hermie Sadler. We'll see you next time.